Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Let's not extract Kanye from hip-hop and, like, the origins around his generation in hip-hop. You, he was up against half of an MC nation that was naming themselves after white men, right, who were supposed to be self-made, who were supposed to be a la Trump in this very kind of flashy, mm-hmm. uh, screw you, I do me kind of ilk. And so there is an attraction to, I think, what he associates with braggadocio and bravery and 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 radical free thought. However, you're wearing a MAGA hat as though that's not sheepish. Like, we ain't do that though. <laughs> we ain't do that part. We still said after police. We Absolutely. still said my president is black. Absolutely. And you so know, did he. And he, so did he. And that's why. And so did he. And that's what I'm worried about. So, it's wow. stunning, right? It, it's stunning on so many levels. First of all. Again, this idea of why we're still talking about slavery is a right-wing, alt-right talking point. This idea about black-on-black crime, right-wing talking point. This idea, everything you he said. He brought that up today. And it's yeah. like I've wanted the guys in the room, and you know, Van was amazing, to mm-hmm. say black people kill each other because of proximity. White people kill each other because of proximity. Right. Because they live together. See, but there you go with that data again. You keep using these facts, right. which right. contradict Kanye's feelings. <laughs> you can't keep doing that in the Kanye universe. That's the problem. And, and welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 7th of May, year of our Lord, 2018. Good Monday to you. Had a good weekend. Hope you did, too. We're getting some spring down here in the uh, God's country of Tennessee. It is pollinated like crazy, so I'm trying to stay out of the out. Side got a good show today. Some more uh, follow-ups on some great subjects we've been covering, especially the dogpiling on female conservative women, and a lot of crazy going on this week with our media. So let's get right to it and fire for effect. <laughs> NBC News exclusive investigation. We are learning that federal investigators wiretapped the phone lines of Michael Cohen, the president's longtime lawyer, weeks before last month's raid at Cohen's office, home, and hotel room. NBC News has learned exclusively that federal investigators tapped the phone lines of the president's longtime lawyer, Michael Cohen. First, the breaking news on the NBC News exclusive. Federal investigators wiretapped phone lines of Trump's personal lawyer. Michael Cohen. It is not clear when the wiretap started or how long it's been authorized, but according to one source, the wiretap was in place in the weeks leading up to the FBI raid on Cohen's office, hotel room, and home. Investigators wiretapped the phone lines of President Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen. Oh, they were so 
excited. So excited that an actual journalist, Ken Dillian, 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 I don't fucking know his name. Boom! Exclusive. Feds tapped Trump's lawyers, Michael Cohen's phones. Legal Insurrection tweeted, Can't imagine why people don't trust the mainstream media when reporters tweet, Boom! When there's news harmful to Trump. In this case, completely fake news, as we'll find out. After MSDNC spent four hours on Thursday breathlessly promoting what turned out to be false story that federal investigators have been wiretapping President Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, for four, four months, NBC Today's show on Friday only managed 41 seconds of airtime to correct the phony bombshell. On Thursday, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern and then continuing until the beginning of the 5 p.m. Eastern hour when Meet the Host, Meet the Press Daily host, Chuck Todd issued a correction. One MSNBC anchor after another hyped the fake news that Cohen had been wiretapped. In reality, federal authorities only maintain a log of who called the lawyer and for how long. No content of any of the phone calls was recorded. So Rightwire tweeted back, boom goes the dynamite. Because here's the mea culpa. Meanwhile, President Trump is up tweeting about NBC News this morning. It follows an NBC report yesterday that there was a wiretap on the phones of Michael Cohen, the president's longtime personal lawyer, citing two separate sources with knowledge of the legal proceedings involving Cohen. But three senior U.S. officials now dispute that, saying that the monitoring of Cohen's phones was limited to a log of calls, not a wiretap where investigators can actually listen into the calls. The president going off, writing NBC News is wrong again. They cite sources which are constantly wrong. Problem is, like so many others, the sources probably don't exist. They are fabricated fiction, he writes. NBC, my former home with The Apprentice, is now as bad as fake news CNN. Sad. Here's an editor's note. Earlier today, NBC News reported that there was a wiretap on phones of Michael Cohen, President Trump's longtime personal attorney, citing two separate sources with knowledge of the legal proceedings involving Cohen. But there's three senior U.S. officials now dispute that, saying that the monitoring of Cohen's phone was limited to a log of calls known as a pen register, not a wiretap where investigators can actually listen to calls. NBC News has changed the headline and revised part of the original story. New York Magazine DC correspondent is concerned that Trump will use that as a further validation for his fake news accusations. Olivia Nuzzi, who we've covered numerous times. It's a shame that the White House and its allies are going to attempt to use NBC's correction to support their narrative about fake news when admitting to and quickly correcting a mistake is what you do only when you care about facts and honesty. Brian Seltzer from Reliable Sources, which is neither reliable or a source. It was a bad mistake, but NBC fessed up and corrected the error. A clear contrast to Trump's approach. Jen Din, New Jersey. The media tells us how bad Trump is every single day. You really think running with, well, we're not as bad as Trump's standard is a good plan? Comfortably smug. NBC just say you were hacked by time traveler. It worked for Joy Reid. New York Times Goldberg. Overwhelming evidence of Trump campaign collusion with Russia. This was all on the same day. Because they're not going to let it off. They were wrong. They were excited about it. Which once again proves why there's no credibility in our media anymore. And when they were found, oh no, 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 we're not going to stop. The Times actually ran a decent story on the report itself, which included Republican criticism of the Clinton campaign, secretly paying for opposition research. But Goldberg cheerfully skipped the Clinton 
in her, in her screed. On Friday, Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee released a report based on their cursory investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Full of shoddy rationalizations and evasions, it purported to show the American intelligence community failed to use proper analytic trade cloth in concluding that Russia wanted to help elect Donald Trump, and there is no evidence that the Trump campaign colluded with Russians. Its real message was that for Republicans in Congress determined to protect this president, evidence is irrelevant. Making sense isn't the point. The report functioned as an obscure reality, not illuminated. And reality is a meticulous Democrat response to the Republican report makes clear there's already Overwhelming evidence of Trump campaign collusion with Russia. A litany of old news and old names followed. Paul Manafort, George Papanabadis, Carter Page, NRA, to explain away the seeming lack of broad concern about the public. She lamented that there was simply too much scandal for people to keep up with it. I can't help think that it would be harder to explain away the Trump campaign treachery if we'd been forced to reckon with it all at once. They're they're shameless. They're just shameless on their hate and bias towards a president that has an R behind his name. Now, mind you, I'm not so stupid to believe it's just Trump. It doesn't matter who's the president. This is our media. This is how they approach everything. They get their journalistic cred on for Republicans. They ignore everything and as our intro precluded and that's why i waited to now they fucking hate half this country they hate them they truly fucking hate them we have gone from a country that used to be politically orientated that you hated democrats if you're republican republican hated democrats the campaigns the actual politicians. Now we're in a mode where we hate the people that vote for them. We just hate people that don't see the world the way we see it. I posted on a Facebook post on my personal Facebook this week, and I truly believe it. They're totalitarian now. Our progressives become so totalitarian. You either believe what I believe or you must be demeaned and exterminated. Their fervor for Trump is just the tip of the spear for the rest of the country that doesn't think like them. Pointed out right here by Chris Matthews and the North Korea coverage. Trump Watch, Wednesday, May 2nd, 2018. A new poll shows that the public's appetite for the Mueller probe is dropping. A healthy majority wants it to continue, but as I said, it's dropping. A lot of this is easily explainable. Like anyone following a crime story or a jury trial, they are hungry for a verdict. I certainly am. I want to know and believe we all have a right to know at some point whether Robert Mueller, with all the legal candle power he's recruited to this mission, with all his powers as a federal prosecutor, has a case that candidate Donald Trump colluded with the Russians in getting himself elected president. My passion was stirred oddly on this matter by watching the final episode of Homeland this season. It is searing to see the Russians trying to undermine our cherished democracy. It is more searing to see an American politician helping them on that show and then trying to cover it up for them. If Trump did this, if he and his operatives opened themselves as helping hands or willing recipients of Moscow's help, he doesn't deserve to be president. 
if his people knew he was doing it, enough of them would not have voted for him to ensure that he wasn't. I have enough faith in my fellow Americans' patriotism, whatever their politics, to believe that. So let's push on. There's no shot clock for getting the truth on this case. We need to know the truth. Did he or didn't he? Let's let the cards fall where they do. If the Trump presidency is a house of cards, let it fall too. We can argue about the points of law and obstruction and whatever business misdeeds of which Trump might be guilty. What I want to know, what the majority of Americans again have a right to know, is whether he cheated to win by having the Russians, even at the margins, stack the deck. Ian, I want to start with North Korea because it was you last week who said, we've got to give President Trump credit for making the progress we have thus far. There's no question that if it wasn't for Trump, uh, we don't have this opening with the North Koreans. A lot of people are saying, oh, is it about his tweets? Is it about fire and fury? It's not. It's about him pressing the Chinese. But we have to give him credit. Look, as you know, I've been critical of President Trump probably 90% of the foreign policy decisions he's made since he's become president. Not the whole administration, but certainly stuff he said. But on this issue, on North Korea, the only way you say that Trump isn't a part of it is if you're just a partisan. If you're just being ideological, right. and that's not, I mean, I understand that, that that's good for eyeballs, but it's not good for our country. Good point. It's not useful. They're so butthurt over all this, they ignored the South Korean president declaring Trump should win a Nobel Peace Prize. They completely ignored it. And then they spent an inordinate amount of time on this. Federal judge blasts the bank fraud case against Manafort. You don't really care about Mr. Manafort's bank fraud, Judge T.S. Ellis told prosecutors, saying that he thinks they're using the case to get Trump. Marshall Cohen again. Though, interestingly, if you examine the syntax of what Judge Ellis said, he is assuming Manafort is guilty of bank fraud. If you read the indictment, there's a ton of evidence against Manafort, and now Gates is cooperating too, but ultimately a jury will make the decision. Grade Ken Brow. The point is not to prosecute crimes, but to get leverage on people. It's disgusting game of political power and legal corruption. Other article from the Daily Wire. Federal judge accuses Mueller team of lying, trying to ruin Trump. On Friday, U.S. District Judge T.S. Ellis III blast special counselor Robert Mueller's team during a hearing on former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, saying that they are only concerned with trying to take down the president. Don't really care about Mr. Manafort. You care about what information Mr. Manafort could give you to lead you to Mr. Trump and an impeachment or whatever. Further, Ellis demanded to see unredacted scope memo document outlying scope of special counsel Russia probe that congressional Republicans have also sought the hearing where Manafort team fought to dismiss the 18-count indictment on tax and bank fraud-related charges, took a confrontational turn as it was revealed that the least some of the information in the investigation derived from an earlier Justice Department probe in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of Virginia. There is no Russia. You will not see that in your news, but even Katie Turr is starting to come around. And remember, she let Keith Oberman put his penis in her. She's an uber-lib. A lot to pick up on there. I mean, one would be whether you might sort of see yourself um, going from beginning to end in a campaign following Oprah, uh, another celebrity in the next election. Uh, the other one, of course, is what Wesley said there about the holy writ of the Mueller investigation when it comes down. A lot of people are hoping it'll lead to an indictment. I'll, I'll, I'll take the first part of that question first. I, I don't know who the Democrats are going to decide or who they're going to decide to put up, and I don't know who the 
you know, I hate Donald Trump. Republicans are going to decide to put up to try and primary him. Um, and I don't know what will work, if that is going toe-to-toe with him in terms of getting down in the mud or if that's taking the high road. I will point you to what happened in a special election in Pennsylvania last month with between the Republican Rick Saccone, who was running on I was Trump before Donald Trump was Trump and calling everybody who didn't support him um, not believers in God or mm-hmm. God-hating. And then there was a, a gentleman named Connor Lamb running on the Democratic ticket who was running a very clean, a very um, boring campaign all about policy and representing that district and not tying himself to the National Democratic Party. And he won. Hmm. So is the solution for Democrats to pick somebody who's the antithesis of Donald Trump, scandal free, somebody who's not going to make headlines constantly because it's exhausting people? Or is it to find somebody who's willing to, I don't know, fight him in the in the bleachers like Joe Biden? Um as for the Mueller investigation, I, I um, am very, as an American, as a citizen, I'm fascinated to know uh, what he finds. Um, I'm not, I'm not so sure that he's going to find a, a, the smoking gun of coordination or collusion. Then again, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. The question is not what he finds, but how damning does it need to be to convince? Five, ten percent of the hard rock, 30 percent of Americans who believe in Donald Trump and who think the Mueller investigation is a bunch of um, BS, that it's real and that it matters. And until we get to a point where we can we can chip off um, uh, that certain I'm going to believe in you no matter what happens, we're going to be in a rough situation. I just don't know. I don't know how it ends. Masha, it is beyond Anything I've ever seen. I just sat and talked to Big Sis of Colorado, who's going to get around to doing us a recording, so we start getting our segment on the show. And you know, it struck us both how far we've gone as a country to a negative side. As stated just a few seconds ago, it used to be you just hated the campaign. Now you hate each other. But our media is, is such a fervor to get Trump. They just want to get Trump. And while they go around and say that he's terrible for democracy and blah, 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 they will report anything they can get their hands on. you you got to know this federal judge. He was nuked by liberals. He doesn't care about the law. He's too political. All we've done in the age of Trump is block everything he can with liberal judges that are not applying the law. They're applying their politics. And in the media, they spend all their time getting anybody who will step out of line. You got the Kanye West kerfuffle, and you got the Chosiak, Hillary's book that we covered on the last podcast. The New York Times has been triggered by a new book from Amy Chosiak about Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail calling Chasing Hillary because they feel it betrays them. Betray is such a strong word. Nobody forced them to be the Hillary fan club. Stephen Perlberg tweets, a new book by Amy Chozik, or Chosiak, or whatever the fuck her name is, has sparked anger and hurt feelings in the New York Times, with some colleagues saying it betrays the paper by exposing it to even more 2016 criticism and airs embarrassing office politics. From a BuzzFeed article, an issue for some of Chosiak's colleagues is that the book reflects on office politics as much as national politics. The ego boost of nab- nabbing a page one byline and joy of pleasing your editor is depicted as a chief goal of the Times reporter. Not striving for 
for truth or holding power to account. Private comments from co-workers in the heat of the deadline pressure appeared on record. Chosiak wonders often whether Clinton likes her and the paper perceived obsession with the contents of the campaign hacked email and cast by the ultimate Times Clinton insider as over the top. The juicy revelations caught other Times reporters by surprise and ran counter to the paper's traditional culture that seeks to keep internal drama in the family. Multiple times, staffers told BuzzFeed News or have relayed to people close to them that they felt a sense of betrayal, though the fact uh, that they would say so behind Chosiak's back highlights one of the undercurrents in the book. The New York Times is a snake pit. Over on a different article, Chosiak tells Rolling Stone, Trump bullied poor Hillary with Bill's accuser. And I cover this, not for the salaciousness of it. This is what's wrong with our country. Normal Americans are out there in the hinterland, places where Chuck Todd and Jake Tapper don't go to, trying to pay bills, put food on the table, wondering why we keep on wanting unfettered immigration so that everything you own costs more and every piece of food you ever need to eat costs more because supply and demand and capitalism kicks the fuck in when you have too many people. They don't give a fuck about this shit. But this is the key to why we're still where we're at right now, why NBC would report bullshit that they knew was bullshit just because they wanted to report it because they hate fucking Trump so much. They were all Hillary's friends. They were all so in the Hillary camp that now that she's not president, they can't let it go. It doesn't matter that Trump talks shit to them. It would still be where we're at. They're still trying to get their president elected. They are not happy because their friend Hillary Rodham Clinton isn't president. She lost. Where's the proof, Tony? How about articles like this? Ex-CNN pundit Reza Aslan. Trump is enemy of the state. Followers belong to a cult. Kind of goes in with our intro there by Lamont Hill. You're the evil one. Remember that. Reza Aslan in the media again, decrying Donald Trump and his voter base as radicalized extremist. One would think that Aslan would tone down his personal brand of anti-Trump rhetoric concerning it got him removed from CNN. But Aslan sees Trump presidency as, as, as cult-like following as a dire situation for America. One that warrants fierce dissent from the left. In an interview with Salon this week, well, that just sums it up, Salon. Reza Aslan discussed the dynamics behind White House support for Trump. Why would a group who considers themselves value not value voters throw out said values in order to support a morally bankrupt president? Aslan began by noting that the recent shift in American demographics, arguing that white Christian Americans around around for the previous 200 years have been losing ground to an influx of minority groups. While this is great for immigrants and people of color, Aslan stated that this is terrifying for white Americans, presuming that this as the main motivator for the inauguration of Trump. Once again, they can't get off the fucking Van Jones whitewashing. Hey, dipshit, she was white. Her husband was black, remember? Bill Clinton was the first black president. She was not. So how is it racist to vote for the white dude over the white woman? The argument should be sexist, but you're still so stuck into your bag of tricks. Racist, racist, racist. From Obama for eight years, 
That's why we knew nothing that Obama was doing. The dear anointed one never was criticized by the press because they were too scared of their own fucking rules. Can't enter, you can't demean a black person. You can't have fucking honor and integrity. They're black. They can do whatever the fuck they want because that's what you believe. And as I've said on the show, that's real racism. That you don't treat them actually equal. That That's the point. I don't see white, black, pink, tutti fruity. I don't give a fuck if you're Rosh, Ru, uh, fucking Martian. If you're wrong, you're fucking wrong. That's how we're supposed to treat each other, right? I digress. Asim claimed that it was his looming demographic threat that resulted in the rabid radicalization, violent groups of white nationalists and extremists that make up Trump's base. I see a lot of Antifa. Once again, I don't see a lot of white nationalists. Very interesting. Their racial fears provided the motivation to support Trump, who as described described as a racist, sexist, lecherous, pathologically lying fascist. The article goes on for a whole long time. He even says that he would not be surprised if there's a 9-11 style attack from these white people. And we wonder why there's no media trust, Brian Seltzer. Probably articles like that. And the fact that none of you can call out Tom Brokaw. But SE Cup did for you. One story is quietly slipping under the radar. Allegations of sexual harassment against one of America's most powerful and respected television anchors, Tom Brokaw. Former colleague Linda Vester has claimed Brokaw groped and assaulted her in the 90s. An unnamed former assistant has also alleged Brokaw made unwanted advances. Vester has provided journals to Variety that she says back up her account. At first, Brokaw indignantly denied the, the claim, likening those claims to a drive-by shooting and dismissing Vester as merely a former colleague who left NBC News angry that she had failed in her pursuit of stardom. Quote, I made no romantic overtures toward her at the time or any other, he wrote. But in that same statement, he goes on to contradict himself. As I remember, she was on at one end of the sofa. I was at the other. It was late, and I had been up for 24 hours. As I got up to leave, I may have leaned over for a perfunctory goodnight kiss, but my memory is that it happened at the door on the cheek. Against the backdrop of our year-long, eye-opening national education on sexual harassment, this admission should have been reason enough to approach this story with seriousness and concern. Instead, his colleagues, his female colleagues, mind you, have inexplicably rushed to his defense. Big mistake. Despite the presumed respect for Brokaw, few of his current colleagues were at the network 25 years ago when the behavior was alleged to have occurred. Even fewer were at the NBC News Bureau in Denver or London, where at least two incidents reportedly occurred, and presumably none was Investor's New York City hotel room where she says another incident occurred. And yet, that hasn't stopped 115 of them, including big names like Rachel Maddow, Nika Brzezinski, Andrea Mitchell, and Maria Shriver, from signing a letter attesting to his, quote, tremendous decency and integrity. Since that letter was published just today, a third allegation has emerged. This one from a former reporter who says in the late 1960s that Brokaw forced a kiss on her while he was married. Now it Turns out some female staffers at NBC News are complaining 
that they felt pressured to sign the Brokaw letter. One anonymously told the New York Post, we felt forced to sign the letter supporting Brokaw. We had no choice, particularly the lower, lower level staffers. And this was all about coming out and forced to protect NBC's golden boy. The network's reputation is tied to Brokaw. If more women came forward, well, that's a big problem. Lesson here is, as much as you think you may know someone, you never really know them fully. And unless you were there, you actually don't know anything. Banding together to sign a letter defending a top veteran newsman is exactly the kind of thing that creates a culture of intimidation. Who would feel comfortable coming forward about sexual harassment allegations now? Rushing to the defense of an accused sexual harasser is just as bad as rushing to condemn one. She nails it. And what did Brian Seltzer do? Absolutely nothing. Early last month, CNN's senior media correspondent Brian Seltzer was apoplectic that Aunt Sinclair Broadcasting Group dared to have anchors on his network local television outlets read a scripted corporate statement running against fake news and promised to remain factual in the reporting. Flash forward to Tuesday, May 1st, the latest instance of media corporation pressuring its journalists involved the women of NBC feeling pressured to sign a letter defending Tom Brokaw on the network's reputation for more sexual misconduct allegation. And on this, Seltzer was dead silence. Seltzer's hyperventilation about Sinclair's scripted corporate statement began in early March when journalists at Sinclair-owned stations started reaching out to him. The promo requirement are the latest reason why some Sinclair journalists are upset, blah, blah, blah. But that wasn't the first time Seltzer had criticized Sinclair. As the Daily Caller discovered just a couple days before, days after he began railing against them for a scripted statement, Seltzer had been a longtime hater of Sinclair. Brian Seltzer won't tell his audience. He doesn't just question Sinclair's editorial choices, but thinks the entire company is evil. The caller's Joe Simonson wrote, Seltzer was upset that they wouldn't run a particular episode of ABC Nightline and left placards in their parking lot in protest. Almost a month after his first report on Sinclair's scripted promise, Seltzer found a former Sinclair producer quit his job over the corporation, and we already covered that, blah, blah, blah. Just two days after Entertainment Magazine Variety published sexual harassment accusations against Brokaw, over 60 women at embassy became signatories on a letter in which they stepped up to place to vouch for Brokaw's character. Thomas treats each of us with fairness and respect and blah, 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 blah. But according to a New York Post article published on Tuesday, NBC executives were breathing down the necks of the female staffers to sign the letter or face the consequences. According to anonymous NBC staffer, we were forced to sign the letter supporting Brokaw we had no choice, particularly the lowest level staffers. The letter was being handed around the office, and the unspoken threat was that if your name was not on it, there would be some repercussions down the road. Execs are watching to see who signed and who didn't. This was all about coming out in force to protect NBC's golden boy. The network's reputation is tied to Brokaw. If more women come out, that's a big problem. But, you know, why be honest, right? And we wonder why we have problems in the media. We wonder why. Could it be still kerfluffle over the White House Correspondents' Dinner? Yeah, I think so. Wolf has been consistently singled out for the quality of her comedic craftsmanship. A lot of times you feel like a comedian is just doing five minutes from their act on a talk show or on a variety evening. But you really work on crafting that as its own piece. But for the moment, she remains focused on tonight's event, with or without Did the presence of the traditional the guest of honor. Does that make it 
better for you as a comedian or harder for you that the president is not there? Would you rather the president be in the room? I mean, I like making fun of people to their face <laughs> more than anything, like more than behind their backs. The White House Correspondents Association bills its annual dinner as a way to raise money for journalism scholarships and to honor the work of Washington reporters. But it's the event's featured entertainer that normally grabs the following morning's headlines. Some say this year's hosts hit new extremes. Well, they need to look clearly about what the mission of the White House Correspondents Association, and I think part of it includes civility. And jokes are fine and humor is fine, but there are stuff, some stuff that's below the belt. I think I've solved the White House Correspondents Association's problem. I think it's pretty simple. Here's all we have to do. Next year's comedian gets up on stage and just reads President Trump's words out loud. Some of those controversial comments. See if they sound like jokes when they're read from a stage. Right. Avalon had a good that idea. Is actually like that person, autobiography. That person, that might be the answer. John Avalon says that person should be dressed as Abraham Lincoln. That's also really interesting. <laughs> Look, we're going to solve all the association's problems because this really this is a problem. Let's face it. I know most Americans don't care about this, but the association within the organization, there is a lot of uh, dissent and disagreement about what the right approach is, whether there should be a comedian, how far is too far. I do think, uh, as with everything else, Trump has changed this entire conversation. Everything is political now, uh, and even raunchy jokes told at a, a fun dinner are, is now political. Right, but that's well. the irony. I, is that, that people are complaining, Trump backers, that she went over the line when he goes over the line so all the time and they say nothing to him. That's why so many viewers it. are listening to this thinking, wait a second, why do y'all care what a, what a young comedian said? The president has changed all these She's joking. He's actually telling the truth. You know, he's and, telling and, his and truth when he says is, She wasn't talking about Michelle. Uh, she wasn't talking about Sarah Sanders' looks. Michelle's Wolf argument is, I was talking about her, quote, despicable behavior. Yeah. That, you know, everything's upside down. And frankly, comedy is supposed to be uncomfortable. Maybe it's a good thing people in that room were on. So that's the audit, audio. They're just defending it. They think it's okie dokie. But what did the actual Washington Post print? First, Margaret Sullivan says, end the White House Correspondents' Dinner because it helped Trump. Once merely embarrassing ridiculous, the annual White House Correspondents' Dinner is poised to tip over into journalistic self-abasement. For journalists to make nice with an administration that is trash and blacklists them, conjures the abusive wife who sends the cops packing, puts a little extra makeup over her bruises, and hopes things will get better soon. Yeah. There is no blacklist. If there was, Jim Acosta wouldn't be allowed in there, correct? Later on, trust the mainstream media is low and new populism has caught fire all over the Western world and President Trump constantly pounds the news media as a bunch of out-of-touch elites who don't represent the interests of real Americans. The annual dinner, at least the optics of the dinner, seems to back him up. Seems to. It does. Trump got to look like a man of the people, a guy who talks the language of auto workers and waitresses, journalists who purported mission to afflict the comfortable and comfort they afflicted, were meanwhile parting with their sources at the Washington Hilton. And she says just get rid of it. Nothing about what's wrong with it. Nothing. They then had a whole article defending them, saying what she said was right, because Huckabee is a big fucking serial liar. The Wolf's performance was not normal for the correspondence dinner is a testament to its timelessness and necessity. Nothing is normal right now, and pretending otherwise on a false sense of the fourth estate's friendship with the executives would have been the real disgrace. Wolf called the Trump administration out for tearing down democracy. Tearing down democracy. 
Which brings me to an article about tearing down democracy that I didn't cover last time. Celebs, media, defend Wolf's insult targeting Trump administration. Comedian Michelle Wolf is a hero, according to the media and Hollywood figures, are racing to defend her recent outrageous statements, regardless of how the rest of America acts. Or reacts, excuse me. During the fiasco at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, Michelle Wolf told blah, 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 Uncle Tom, white people, all the evil shit, they cover it. CNN contributor Joan Walsh tweeted, the edginess of her routine was well known, including the abortion joke, was widely known. So anyone who pretend to be surprised is either stupid or lying. In reference to Wolf's joke about Sanders' eye makeup, I think she's very resourceful like she burns, blah, blah, blah. Teen Vogue writer, that slut Lauren Duco, tells kids how to have anal sex, tweeted, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' routine lies to the American people, attacking our shared foundation of truth, and therefore undermining democracy. Write that on your mirror and fucking mascara, fascists. There's that hate of the rest of the country. Deborah Messing wrote to Michelle Wolf, it's a, it is absurd. You in no way attacked her looks. You attacked her integrity, which is fair given she lies to the American, com- com- American public constantly. Yeah. Ellen DeGeneres, Andy Lassiter is Ellen DeGeneres executive producer, tweeted a response to the White House Correspondent's apology. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a dangerous propagandist. Shame on you and your organization for this embarrassing letter. Josh Gad wrote, The problem with the Michelle Wolf outrage is that the same standard isn't held for the current President of the United States. He says it's too tough to watch the Paralympics and everyone is like, Oh, you? His locker room talk of assaulting women is a joke? It cuts both ways. They're still trying to do that. Kathy Griffin ran her mouth. Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, fuck off with White House correspondence. Really? You should thank her for speaking truth to power and to morons. Alec Baldwin. I'm sure I'm not the first to say it. Give Michelle Wolf a contract today to host, produce the counter-program to White House Correspondents' Dinner, tape live, streaming, Netflix, whatever. Everyone who feels that the White House Correspondents' Dinner owes Wolf an apology, come do... Come do the not White House Correspondents' Dinner. Oh, Lord, I can't wait. The irony. Wolf already has a Netflix series slated to air in May. They gave her one. And why is this? Why did they rush to defend her? Because that's what they always do for liberals. If a conservative does that, they'd lose their job. But liberals can get away with it because of media superheroes like Acosta, Ryan. They insult people's intelligence and insist they're not playing to the cameras. Another story. These people just make me detest Washington. On Tuesday, published absurdly goofy profile liberal media ahead of the Saturday White House Correspondents' Dinner and focused on three journalists, Jim Acosta, urban, and American Urban Radio Network's correspondents, April Ryan, are perhaps the most arrogant journalists, period. Whether it was flaunting the First Amendment as it only applies to the media, arguing that President Trump has been violating the oath of office or pretending that the president will cause a journalist to be physically harmed, the thin-skinned duo proved they can't stand criticism. The article by senior editor Ted Johnson includes some interesting quotes, which can be found in a different website. But one of three videos accompanying the piece with Acosta Ryan and the far less pompous Washington Post correspondent Ashley Parker was that where the action was. Numerous quotes were not included that the story should have been 
should have been featured in. For the record, Parker barely spoke because Constant and Ryan constantly tried to one-up each other with their insanity. Ryan explained that fake news isn't a cute little statement, but rather has tentacles that is reaching overseas and can really destabilize democracies. She then accused the president of violating his oath of office by not supporting the media. Every president and inauguration day, January 20 at 12.01 p.m. or whatever day it is, becomes president. But before he does that, he takes the oath of office to uphold the Constitution of free press as part of the Constitution. First Amendment. And he's swearing to uphold the Constitution. So he's really being a hypocrite when he's calling us fake news and saying, and it's undermining us, and we are part of the pillars of the nation, the founding fathers. They didn't know that there was going to be Twitter. They did not know there would be going to be Ashley. They didn't know there was going to be Jim. They definitely didn't know there was going to be an April asking questions of presidents. But when we stand on what they laid for us and we, and the First Amendment is still strong, freedom of press, and the president is going totally against that. Sorry, April, the article says, but the First Amendment isn't exclusive to journalism. It also gives us and Americans the right to criticize our media. Daily Caller media reporter Abner Athi found perhaps the most appalling comment, which was Acosta channeling Jonathan Gruber and attacking the intelligence of the American people. The problem is that people around the country don't know it's an act. They're not in on the act, and they take what he says very seriously, and they take attacks from Sean Spicer and Sarah Sanders and what they do to us on a daily basis very seriously. They don't have all their faculties in some cases. Their elevator might not hit all floors. See? They hate us. Acosta reiterated prior predictions that Trump's criticism of the press would result in someone getting hurt. Only then, Acosta smugly states, will the Trump administration be forced to take a hard look in the mirror and ask themselves whether or not they played a role in this. And the moment that a journalist gets hurt in the United States of America because of the rhetoric coming from the President of the United States, we have suddenly become something less than the United States. Ryan interjected that she wanted to go even further, slamming Trump for throwing gasoline on a fire and claiming that she doesn't travel as much as I used to for fear of being harmed. Do you know why the American people believe Trump? Because of shit like this. Circle May 3rd on your calendar, because this is the day that we will look back on in this briefing where Sarah Sanders made it so painfully clear that she has lost credibility with the American people, with the reporters in that room. She completely uh, would sidestep and say that she could only give the best information she has. She was acknowledging to Jim Acosta's questioning that she came out and provided incorrect information. Well, when the spokesperson for the President of the United States of America comes to that podium and provides incorrect, false, bad information, they have no credibility to continue with that job. I'm not suggesting she's on her way out. I'm sure Sarah Sanders uh, will stay there because she's pleasing an audience of one. But she has acknowledged that she can only go out there with information the best available. If the best available is false, bad, and untrue information, she's failing at her job. And I think we saw that time and again in this press briefing today. If she can't verify that what she's going out with to that podium to answer questions with is truthful, accurate information, she shouldn't be speaking about it at all. That's not the case here. She spoke with bad information because we are now learning it was not truthful when she walked out there in March and delivered those answers. And, and she 
I thought she was pretty clear in acknowledging that today. Well, I mean, I think you go back to day one with Sean Spicer, right? Uh, blatantly going out uh, and telling a falsehood about something really small, right? Crowd size. And from what we can tell, he was basically sent out there uh, by the president who was unhappy about the comparisons of his crowd size to Obama's crowd size. Uh, so this is a bookend and echo of that. Here is uh, Sarah Sanders, uh, who, of course, was mocked, right? Uh, if you remember the White House correspondents there, I mean, this was part of uh, the kind of theme of that comedian's act, the idea that Sarah Sanders had a problem with the truth. And I think we got plenty of evidence uh, today and, and through, uh, through these last couple of months. Now, Mika, we understandably <clears throat> talk about this every day, multiple times a day, because there's a, just a literal tsunami, a fire hydrant of false information mm -hmm. <clears throat> coming from this White House every day. But it's larger than that, and the problem and the threat and the danger is much larger than just the White House and just us talking about it. It's what happens out in the country, dealing every day, people dealing every day with the normalization, the normalization of lies and deception coming from the President of the United States and those who represent the President of the United States. And people get used to it. And people slowly turn off what they hear. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't impact people. And they end up not really caring about the fact that the President of the United States is a liar. And that people who represent him lie on a daily basis. This is, this is how democracies die, slowly, right in front of us. Every single day, deception and lies become normal. Mike, I'll take it one step. It's worse than normal. It's becoming elevated. If Donald Trump continues to stay in office and succeed, and if Donald Trump wins the Nobel Peace Prize, not only will we normalize lying, we are celebrating and saying, ah, that's the way to, that's the, way to the top. So it's even scarier than normalization. And that's why this was proposed and brought up because of what happened. The article goes, and I kept it word for word because it's true. This is how ghetto April Ryan is. And yes, I said ghetto. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. That goes double for CNN's April Ryan. As Twitchy readers know, yesterday April made a ridiculous claim during the presser that Sarah Sanders was blindsided about a hush money, at which point Sanders shut her down and rightfully so. The altercation made April so mad she went on multiple shows last night to complain about it. It seems she also had things to say on Twitter and seriously is just freaking the fuck out. Here is the altercation. Second question, chaos, hush money, Russia trolls, Facebook, WikiLeaks, DNC head, Comey email investigations on the eve of the election, allegations of collusion. Do these issues give support to those who say, uh, who offer questions about the president's legitimacy? Uh, I'm not sure I follow the question, but I think the fact that millions of Americans came out and voted for and continue to support this presidency makes him pretty legitimate. Said it, but you weren't blindsided from what you said. Well, for uh, with all due respect, you actually don't know much about me in terms of what I feel and what I don't. Okay, but what I will say to you is that. For her to say, for Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the presidential spokesperson, the mouthpiece for the President of the United States, to say you don't know me in certain quarters in this nation, that starts a physical fight. In some parts of the country, that goes into a physical altercation. You don't know. Are you a reporter or are you a ghetto princess? Call me a racist. I don't give a fuck.
Who the fuck does that? That's our media. And then she's online doing this. The mayor of, the racist mayor from Baltimore, April Ryan, unsolicited comeback suggestions for press secretary. I may not know you, but I'm damn sure, I damn sure know a lie and you're wearing it, sis, all over your face. Oh wait, is that a smudge in your liner? LOL, stop. Be more in the house. I know you have my back. That you don't know me stuff begins fist fights. She needs to know what she is saying. I'm not the one. Stephanie SRB. I already took my earrings off of Vaseline in my purse. That is what I'm talking about, April Ryan says. Take off that pretty ring to Fornay, Forn the street fight. LOL. That is a reporter. Aver Athney. Hey, CNN, care to comment on one of your political analysts joking about getting in a physical altercation with the White House press secretary? Because they deleted it. But CNN didn't respond. But by the end of the day, everybody's starting to go fucking crazy about it. That Hey, you got a reporter saying they're going to beat the fuck out of somebody going ghetto up in this bitch talking about taking out their weave. And she showed no remorse. Something is really wrong when people don't understand a joke to take the temperature down from words. A press secretary said that in some case, Ignite fights. A former mayor, nor an esteemed journalist, would never go that low to physically fight someone for ignorant street words. The joke was a response to the words coming from the White House podium and some sectors of this country. Those words from the press secretary start physical fights. I believe in nonviolence. End of story. So it's Sarah's fault. She says, you don't know me. Like a normal person. Hey, you know, you just don't know me. You don't know what I really feel. You don't know what I think. Not ghetto. You don't know me. Like you're on fucking Springer. She then played the victim, as all these liberals do when they get away with it. So the words incite death threats on me and others, and then they say things that typically start street fights, and I'm the one with the issue. Please. Jenison McCullough, death threats are wrong, sent all to appropriate authority. However, your overall buffoonery makes you a legitimate target for marketing. It's so street, what sort of imbecile even says something like that? DFW appraiser, you misquoted her, Miss Ryan. You're talking about the street and fights. Read her actual quote. Nothing wrong with it. You should have had your press credentials pulled for this. Beer Saint, I watched the entire exchange. April Ryan is clearly trying to make something out of a complete nothing. I honestly don't know how she ever linked street fights to their interaction. Have you watched the video? Your thoughts? It's all about intention, attention and pretending she wasn't completely unprofessional and ridiculous tweeting about Sarah's fighting Sarah Sanders. In other words, she got caught being awful and is try, trying really hard to pretend otherwise. This is our media. This is a senior fellow in our media talking about street fights like a ghetto princess that you would see on Cops. But this is CNN. Chris Saliza, the case for Sarah Sanders to quit. To the extent Sanders retained credibility among the White House press corps, you lost it with that answer. Admitting that you misled the press because the president misled you is tantamount to taking your credibility, pouring gasoline on it, and then setting it on fire. The point. A boss 
who would not only mislead you, but also do so knowingly, full well, you would then put your credibility on the line publicly to defend the misinformation as a boss no one should be willing to work for. That includes Sarah Sanders. People responded, that, right, it's totally Sarah Sanders' fault. The members of the press behave like raving three-year-olds who haven't bothered to get potty trained yet. Wonder if Chris realizes he should just made the point about his bosses on CNN, which would mean, in essence, he made the case that he should quit. American Pearl, I'd read on it, but I suspect it all boils down to she's smarter than us and not afraid of your hissy fits. We're terrified of her. Chris Saleza, the case for Chris Sa- Sarah Sanders to quit. Somebody responded, you're a troll of a journalist and trying to drive the narrative. Just stop. Hashtag CNN is propaganda. Brushback Bob, where's the case for you to cut your mic and go into insurance sales? Then a political director, David Charlatan. CNN's David Charlton after briefing circle May 3rd on your calendar because this is the day that we will look back on in this briefing where Sarah Sanders made it so painfully clear that she has lost credibility with the American people and with the reporters in the room. John Gabriel. In other words, she's now CNN. Stephen Miller. Ah, yes, that we're always trusted White House press secretary not to lie or spin to us before. And this is just too far, Sarah. Just too far Act. He then dropped TNT on these fucking morons. Josh Ernest, fact. Under ACA, everyone's insurance got upgraded, and most can find a plan on the marketplace for $75 a month or less. Hmm. So simultaneously, CNN rolls out Josh Ernest, because remember, Liberals never owe to their words. Republicans are, because they're all liberals. And Brian Seltzer, an excerpt from my Josh Ernest interview, see much more on next Sunday's Reliable Sources, a special hour, Obama and the media. They're going to actually do that. Obama and the media, how good he was with the media. Yeah, because you didn't ask him any questions. CNN Politics. Press Secretary tells Brian Seltzer, the symbolic accountability of the White House press briefing is worth protecting. Stephen Miller. Chris woke up on January 21st, 2017. It's very outraged. Press Secretary spin the administration's points. Stephen Miller again. How soon everyone forgets. Jay Connie and Josh Ernest lied to people's faces on a daily basis. But we don't recall you guys like Chris Saliza calling for their heads. It's almost as if the White House press corps struggles with this intellectual honesty. Stephen Miller again. Ah, yes. We always trust White House press secretaries, but now we don't. Another one. Press secretaries lied to the media. That's their job. Always has been. Either party. Every president. It's enlightening to see, however, who in the media is only outraged when some do it. Like you, Chris. Chris Saliza. Nope. It's not their job. Not even close. He then sent multiple tweets. Of them lying. And this Jim, Chris Saliza, you want a gift of Jay Carney's beard? We have that. In honor of Jay Carney's beard, I give you my favorite Wilco song about a beard. What Jay Carney's beard means for the 2016 field in one map. That's articles from CNN on the previous press secretary. It was a simpler time, is what... Red State said, 
And then he asked him, can you please refer me to your Josh Ernest or Jay Carney need to resign for lying article? He closes with, and here's another hard dose of reality. If you think lying to the media is the same as lying to the American people, then I've got some poll numbers to show you about what the American people still think of the media. This is our media. That Josh Ernest tweet sums up our media. Who they really are. These are their friends. When Democrats are in office, the correlation between an administration and ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, and MSDNC can be linked like a fucking family tree. And they report nothing. When a Republican becomes president, that family tree disintegrates other than a few people like Dana Perino with Bush and they go insane over the dumbest things so that's our fire for effect it was a shitty week for CNN April Ryan and her weave to our tweets of the day lot to say about um, press freedom, um, basically speaking to the world on that. So when the President of the United States and those around him repeatedly say the words fake news, isn't mm-hmm. that disinformation? Look, we've discussed this as well. Um, you and I have had many exchanges on this, and that's part of what the beauty of a free press and the beauty of a First Amendment, when people can say what they want. You don't have to agree with it. Others don't have to agree with it, but that is certainly within his own right to do so. When we look essence of a free press in other countries. We look at what those countries are doing to journalists, and that's something that we do not see here in the United States. In Turkey, for example, some of our, uh, some of your colleagues here, if they were to head home to Turkey, they would be arrested. Why? In part of the job that they are doing each and every day. One of your other colleagues from Afghanistan, if she were to return home, she uh, would once again, without be subject to harassment, uh, death threats, and the like, because her family's been threatened so because before. because that's not happening. The White House lying and saying fake news Michelle, is... Michelle, I'm not going to get into this. Look, it's the deal. right of the free press, and it's the president, and he has the right to speak his mind and has a right to be concerned about stories that he feels are inaccurate. I rarely do audio-only tweets of the day, but that was fantastic. That's the State Department press secretary schooling an NBC reporter. Because right now, that's our problem. As we've shown with their hate and dissent and bullcrap, they're so high on themselves, they forgot their job is to do the truth. 
Not what you think the truth is. Not what you believe. Not your gut response that you fucking hate all Republicans, conservatives, Christians, soldiers. You're supposed to report the fucking news, not be the news. That's my hate. But we'll move on. Need Jesus? Chelsea Handler, prayer for the National Day of Prayer leads to all sorts of backfire. This was her tweet on National Prayer Day with the hashtag, Dear God, please make this administration go away. Most people said, I thought you don't believe in God. Then a Canadian feminist tweet about banning Americans. Because it's just not here. It's all liberals. All of them. Nora Loretto, I would support a total ban on Americans on Twitter if it meant that people would stop calling me a liberal. Jimmy McSavage, you aren't. You're a leftist, which is arguably worse. Good move. Other person, shut your fucking pie hole. You don't even make bacon right, which I thought was really fucking funny. But Michael Rich sums it up the best. Since Twitter was designed, built, and is maintained by Americans, wouldn't a total ban of Americans on Twitter mean Twitter would cease to exist? And that's a big Roger Canuck. Go eat some fucking poutine and shut the fuck up. Then there's this racist piece of shit. King from CBS. And this this sums up my hate of the media, probably better than all the other shit we're going to cover today. Because this is what happens when liberals who are under the gun for me to keep piling up. It's like a body bags full of dead reporters from getting fired from fucking me tooing every intern and every network. She's sick of covering it. Gosh, Anthony, uh, I have a very bad case of deja vu, I have to say. Yeah. You know, I feel sick to my stomach. And I don't know what to say about this. You know, when, when the story first broke, I said Charlie was my friend. I still consider him a friend. I know that's probably not the politically correct thing to say at this moment. But I don't believe in abandoning friends when they're down. That said, this is very troubling, very disturbing, and you can't discount what these women are saying. I know all of the men who are mentioned in the management, the management that they're saying there, too. I have great respect for them. And, and this is what I know. I don't know what more we can do to Charlie Rose except a, a public flogging. He's gone. He's not coming back to CBS News. Nora O'Donnell, John Dickerson, and I are the new team. We are working very hard here. I know that we bring up quality broadcasts surrounded by a quality team. And all we can continue to do is do the best possible possible job that we can. But you see these allegations, you hear the stories, and it just makes you sick all over well, again. And I don't know what to do. Unfortunately, you've it. had to, to handle this story for far too yeah, many mornings here on I'm this, this show. We, I this. just want us to move forward. I want us to do the best job that we can. But that said, you can't ignore what these women are saying. That's also part of my anguish here, yeah. to know that women were hurt and are saying the things that they're saying. And I think it's good that we're having this conversation yeah, 27. again. Refer to previous rant. It's your job. Shut the fuck up. Then there was this, the NRA, attention annual meetings attendees, steer clear of Ellen's in downtown Dallas. Why go there when there are so many other great choices? And this is what they put at the bottom of the receipt. Thanks for visiting Ellen's. A portion of this week's proceeds will be donated to organizations dedicated to implementing reasonable and effective gun regulations. Welcome to Dallas. Kristen Powers, 
Tell me again how the NRA is an extremist. They want people to boycott a Dallas restaurant that supports reasonable gun regulations. Makes me want to fly to Dallas for brunch. Mephi Bo Seth asked the question. So the NRA does not have the right to inform their members that a public business supports gun confiscation extremists with money paid for food and service. Got it. Man, the left is so tyrannical. They just are. But the ugly people bring the hate. They should serve the NRA some southern blood-spattered biscuits and gravy. Yeah. I don't want to eat no place. I can't legally shoot a colored person. Ashley Lynch. Her picture. Did you hear about the drive right by knife throwing or the bat massacre? The weapons matter. Juliet Benoit, great work, Ellens, and thanks to the tooth criminal tweet. I'm sure you can expect lots of new customers. Yep, thanks for donating to cause the reduced threat of assault weapons given to the people who should not have access to them. Mwah, with a kissy face. But here's the problem. If this is going so well for you, why have donations for the NRA go up exponentially, membership's gone up exponentially, and Dick's is in a whole lot of fucking whole lot of problems. NSSF, which is the National Shooting Sports Foundation. NSSF expels Dick's Sporting Goods. The National Shooting Sports Foundation, the Trade Association for the Firearms, Ammunition, Hunting, and Shooting Sports Industry, Board of Governors today unanimously voted to expel Dick's Sporting Goods from the membership for conduct detrimental to the best interests of the foundation. Dick's Sporting Goods recently hired a Washington, D.C.-based government affair firm for lobbying-related gun control. Dick's Sporting Goods CEO Edward W. Stack announced earlier this year the retail chain would end sales of modern sporting rifles, volunteering raise the age of 21 to purchase firearms in their stores, and call for more restrictive legislation. Dix later announced that they would destroy the remaining modern sports rifle inventory. NSSF responded that businesses' decisions should be individually made, but was nonetheless disappointed the decision does not reflect the reality of the vast majority of law-abiding gun owners. And they are no longer part of it, and they are fucked. Because this little wave they're on, that CEO just ruined Dick's. I live in a military town. Every time I've gone to the mall, I've gone to the mall three times over the last three weeks. I had to get my ring resized because remember I got my finger cut off at that Christmas parade. And I had to get it resized so I could get it over the dead knuckle that's like a huge nastiness now. Anyway, I use the exit just to go in. Nobody's there. I'm going midday. There's nobody there. It's a ghost town. On the third trip, I decided to ask an employee, man, this place is pretty dead. They go, yeah, our business is way down. So, good job, dicks. You got all that sweet, sweet Twitter, Twitter quad. Now you're fucked. Montel Williams joins the hate, uses gay slur and attack on Donald Trump, calls Dan Scavino his fluffer. Yeah, fluffer. No repercussions. Devin Nunes tweets, sends in the G-Man after John Kerry reportedly, wait for it, shadowly attempts to save the Iran deal. Scoop. John Kerry is very, very 
quietly playing quasi-diplomat meeting with foreign leaders of France and Iran to save the Iran nuclear deal. Eric Deal. Eric Erickson. I remember when Democrats were outraged Republicans might try to undermine Obama with foreign leaders. His is clear violation of the Logan Act, and John Kerry should be locked up. The federal law that criminalizes negotiation by unauthorized persons with foreign governments having a dispute with the United States. Logan Act. John Hayward. I'm old enough to remember when they told me the Logan Act was the most important law since Moss came down from the mountain and Mike Flynn had to be tarred and feathered for violating it. James Toronto. Would be funny if Mueller actually prosecuted him for violating the Logan Act. He won't. Derek Hunter. Remember when liberals were freaking about the Logan Act and attacking Trump for things he said after the election? John Kerry is literally doing that. Liberals were pearl-clutching over Trump saying it in tweets. And then there's this hate, Sean Davis. The recent, the most recent unclassified version of the House Intelligence Committee report exposes how DOJ and FBI improperly use redaction to protect people like James Kobe for the public scrutiny. The before and after versions show that dirty pool DOJ, FBI were playing, examples forthcoming. Compare the fully redacted version that came out last week to the most unredacted version that came out today. Do you see the DOJ FBI tried to cover up? McCabe said they hadn't substantiated anything against Flynn, and the ambush of Flynn at the White House was directed by Comey. Compare these two pages. The initial redacted version hid clear testimony that the FBI didn't think Flynn lied. McCabe, the two people who interviewed Flynn, didn't think he was lying, and not a great beginning of a false statement case. Next tweet, DOJ FBI also tried to hide Comey's clear testimony that FBI agents didn't think Flynn lied. Here's what they covered up. Comey testified the committee that the agents discerned no physical indication of deception. Now compare those statements under oath from Comey with what he told Brett Baer on television last week. Extremely difficult to reconcile them. It's clear the DOJ and FBI demanded significant redactions not to protect national security or source methods, but to protect potentially corrupt officials from accountability for their actions before and after Trump's election. The Flynn redaction appears to have been done to protect a false statement case with no evidentiary basis. Others were done to hide apparent conspiracy to spy on and leak against the Trump officials out of spite over the election result. With the contacts in mind, additional redaction material suggested the illegal leaks against Flynn were done entirely to justify continuing an investigation against him that the FBI had already determined was without basis. This is not how the rule of law works. This is not what your media has told you. You have been told by the media that Flynn has flipped on Trump and the pillars are falling. And that's a complete lie. I would play motherfuckers, but it's too sublime for how far our institutions have gone under Trump. You know, the old saying goes, you really know about a person during hard times. And during hard times right now for Democrats, our media, the FBI, it's clearly obvious they are fucking horrible people. If you can't put your politics away to do what's right, you really have problems. To hypocrisy without the bump. 
Christian nonprofit demanding religious freedom removed by Amazon from its donation program. The Alliance Defending Freedom, a nonprofit public interest law firm that fights for religious freedom, has been ejected from Amazon's Smile. Amazon's programmers take a small part of the customer's purchase and donate it. Where did they get that from? SPLC. SPLC has become a total goat screw, bullshit, horrible fucking organization. Horrible. It's just horrible. They clearly, all they do is go after conservatives. That, that's what they go after. Conservatives. They, they don't actually go after hate groups. Everything that isn't them is hate. That's how they run shit. If you don't agree with their mindset, you're a hate group. Hmm. Gonna change it up today. I'm gonna do bias 101 right now. CNN gives gooey interview to Valerie Jarrett. I want you to understand during this interview, You're never going to hear that Valerie Jarrett's daughter works for CNN. Her name is Laura Jarrett, and she is a justice correspondent. And no time did they feel they had to release that. Joining us now is Valerie Jarrett. She is a former senior advisor to President Obama and former chair of the White House Council of Women and Girls. She will be headlining the United States of Women Summit tomorrow. Valerie, great to see you. Thank you, Allison. It's a pleasure to be with you. We're so excited about the summit this weekend in L.A. I'm going to ask you about that in one second, but the breaking news that we just had moments ago were the new job numbers, the lowest in anybody's memory, 3.9% unemployment rate. Uh, it's been 15 months of Donald Trump's presidency. Do you give him credit for that? Okay, so before we get to what we're seeing this week from the White House between Rudy Giuliani and the President and Sarah Sanders, etc., I do want to talk about what you're doing tomorrow, and that's headlining this U.S. Uh, this the United States of Women Summit. What is your message to women at this moment? I mean, particularly this Me Too moment and everything else that's happening. I know that you're speaking on a panel about the path for women in politics, and it's fascinating to hear the spike of interest of women who are engaged now. Do you think that in this climate, with Donald Trump as president, the path for women has gotten easier or harder? So, Valerie, when you watch what's happened, let's just say this week, okay, coming out of the White House, with Rudy Giuliani changing the narrative, saying that President Trump did actually reimburse Michael Cohen, his longtime fixer for this hush money, to Stormy Daniels, and, and everything else that's happened this week, what goes through your head? And, but when you hear people like Rudy Giuliani calling the agents who went into Michael Cohen's apartment and office stormtroopers, um, uh, and all of the things that the president has said about the witch hunt uh, of Robert Mueller's investigation, witch hunt as the president calls it, do you think this is a moment in time that will pass? Or do you worry that there's some sort of lasting damage? To I want you to think of a time that CNN actually brought back, let's say, chief of staff, Carl Rove did gooey, ooey, beautiful little get your points out. Let Obama get a credit for everything. Let's break it for a second. Let's really think about that. So if eight years everything was Bush's fault, how the fuck now two years into or a year and a half into the next president is the next president not equated for a good economy? Are you fucking people that crazy? 
I know it's spin. I know it's politics. I understand that. But seriously. Unless you're reading HuffPo or just watch CNN or you're like Paige in Oregon. How can you believe Obama's gets the credit for this economy? This economy is based on deregulation. Trump hasn't done anything but remove all the fucking restrictions that Obama Co. did. I mean, let's do a, a, just a small analysis. I got this from Big Sis, who I'm going to beg to do a segment on this. We were just talking on the phone for a little bit. In, in Tennessee, when I redo my tags, it's $75. Used to be 55 Then it became 65 Not $75. With the online fee, it's 80 bucks to redo a tag. Do you know in her state, she pays a percentage of the value of the car? So you pay sales tax when you buy the car, and then each year you pay a depreciated value of your car. So the average tag for my sister right now is 400 fucking dollars. Because she lives in Denver, a liberal enclave. Now multiply that by the federal government. All the restrictions on business under Obama. You see why the economy is booming. You see why people are hiring people again. They're not getting punished for being a capitalist. Because Obama was a socialist. Interesting. Other stories. Nets ignore national stand for second pro-gun student walkout. The second time, never covered it. They also ignored May Day celebrations where there was actual firebombing in Paris. None of that made it because they love them as the New York Times shows with a column. Celebrating Karl Marx's 200th birthday, you were right. On Monday, Jason Barker, associate professor of philosophy, celebrated the upcoming 200th anniversary of Karl Marx's birthday by telling the Communist Manifesto author, you were right. During the 30s, the Times carried the lies of Walter Durality, the Pulitzer Prize-winning Soviet Union-based reporter who claimed that Holodomor in the Ukraine, during the, which millions of Ukrainians died as their farms were collectivized, wasn't happening. The paper contributed mightily Fidel Crasto's rise to power in Cuba by giving him credit in America as a freedom fighter in what turned out to be an orchestrated fake news story in 1957. The Times went gaga over the release of the 150th anniversary edition of Marx's Communist Manifesto, colonist Peter Lewis declared that Karl Marx may have been right after all. The paper spent 2017, the 100th anniversary of Russia's communist revolution in Russia, publishing Red Century articles, most defining communist alleged good points, never mind the millions who were killed or starved. Thus, though it's offensive, it's really not much of a surprise that Tides gave space for someone prone to praise the progenitor of the social order and form of government responsible for 150 million deaths as of 12 years ago. Since then, Cuba, North Korea, Venezuela, mainline China, and several other countries Continue to add to the bloody body count. The bloody body count. So how in the world can Jason Baker, Barker, contend that Marx was right? Here's how. As we reach the bicentennial of Marx's birth, what lessons might we draw from his dangerous and delirious philosophical legacy? What precisely is Marx's lasting contribution? Today, the legacy would appear to be alive and well. Since the turn of the millennial... Countless books have appeared from scholarly works to popular biographies, broadly endorsing Marx's reading of capitalism and its enduring relevance to our neoliberal age. In 2002, the French philosopher Edouard Boudois declared at a conference I attended in London that Marx had become the philosopher of the middle class. What did he mean? 
I believe he meant that the educated liberal opinion is today more or less unanimous in its agreement that Marx's basic theses, that capitalism is driven by a deeply divisive class struggle in which the ruling class minority appropriates the surplus labor of the working class majority as profit, is correct. Even liberal economists such as Norel Rubini agree that Marx's conviction that capitalism has an inbuilt tendency to destroy itself remains as prescient as ever. What the fuck is wrong with you? There is no middle class. And did you not look at Soviet Union? The Politburo class and the rest of the masses in a breadline? You fucking morons. Then there's a symposium on CNN. Catching up on CNN? Avente, the lawyer of Stormy Daniels, gets eight MSDNC appearances in four days. After Media Research Center found that Stormy Daniels attorney Michael Avanti appeared on CNN an astounding 59 times in less than two months, a number which has already risen in the last 24 hours, MSDNC seemed to be trying to catch up featuring the porn star lawyer on its airwaves a total of eight times in just four days, including three separate appearances on Thursday. One a day. CNN host porn star lawyer Michael Avente 59 times in less than two weeks. April 4th, 36 fucking times. You fucking people. And then my total fucking bone that I love gnashing about, PPFA was in the news this week. Listen to this drivel. This book, I think, will broaden people's understanding about your activist chops. This uh, makes me think you're going to run for office. Are you going to run for office? I don't have any plans to run for office, but I learned early on never to say never. Women running for office, does that mean Cecile Richards running for office? Well, you never say never. Is there elective politics in your future? Who knows? You know, never say never. A lot of people are wondering if you're stepping away from Planned Parenthood to get into elective politics yourself. Is that something that's on your mind? Not not this fall, perhaps, but down the road? Well, never say never, Willie. Is there politics in your future? Uh, I don't know what's next. Do you have an interest in running for office at some point? Nothing that I really looked at. In order to stand up for something, you've got to fight and you've got to face adversity. You've done it for your whole career. And right now we're seeing a record number of women run for election. That's right. Are you going to be one of those women next? Uh, I don't know. I want to bring in the one and only Cecile Richard. She is the former president of Planned Parenthood. Yesterday was her official last day on the job after more than a decade with the organization. She is also the author of the new book, Make Trouble. Cecile, what is your reaction to this latest report? President Trump wants to slash funding. And again, all about abortions. Actually, it's even more outrageous than that. It's not really just funding for Planned Parenthood. Basically, what they're trying to do is take the National Family Planning Program, which is the way that many women with low incomes get access to birth control at Planned Parenthood and other places, and make it impossible for so many health care centers to provide those, that birth control by en- basically enacting a domestic gag order. This would say that any health care provider could no longer inform women, not just not provide safe and legal abortion, couldn't even inform women of their rights or referrals and it is it's the most outrageous attack on birth control that we've seen um, in my lifetime why don't we realize that 
Mm -hmm. There are people who simply want to continue this narrative, and it works, that Planned Parenthood is the abortion store. I want to, I want to pull uh, this argument we hear over and over. Republican candidate for the House, Danny Tarkanian, says, Why should the legislators force a person who has a belief that life starts with conception to subsidize and use their taxpayer dollars for somebody else's abortion? Is there an argument to be made Simply do something to put an end to this. Is it a PR issue? It, like, how many more meal, extended family meals do I have to go to arguing that's not how Planned Parenthood works? Well, actually, I, I mean, most people in America know that's not how Planned Parenthood works. We actually operate just like every other hospital and healthcare provider. Federal funds don't go for abortion. They go for birth control. And in fact, you could argue, as I have many times, we do more to prevent unintended pregnancy and the need for abortion than any organization in this country. So actually, in, you know, I was just looking at Fox News' most recent poll. Even they had to say, and they're not our biggest ally, they had to say that of all the organizations in the country, Planned Parenthood was the single most popular. Because most people in this country see Planned Parenthood not as the problem, but as the solution. But that's the argument that we hear when funding does get cut or the threat. Well, you know, it's the pro-life community that doesn't support it. So why not make it more clear? I mean, I think we do. And again, I think that's one in five women in this country go to Planned Parenthood for health care. They know very, very well uh, why it's important to them to have affordable access to care. And the kinds of things this administration is going to do or trying to do is going to make unintended pregnancy rise. And I can guarantee the rate of abortion will rise in this country as well. It's, it's incredible. And right now, we're at the lowest rate of teenage pregnancy in the history of the United States of America. That should be something we should be celebrating and doing more to get access to affordable family planning. For the last 12 years, Cecile Richards battled to protect Planned Parenthood's federal and state funding. After a decade with the organization, Richards' last day as president was yesterday. So joining us now is Cecile Richards. But I mean, when you say that you beat back this administration's plan to defund, is that over? I mean, are you breathing a sigh of relief, or is this an ever-going battle? Oh, it's an ongoing battle, and I think particularly this this administration has really, you know, had women and women's rights and women's health care sort of in their sights. Uh, but I feel like the organization is well-positioned. And again, I'll continue to fight to make sure that every woman in this country has access to affordable health care that Planned Parenthood provides. But it turned out, really, that what was, at least what Jared Kushner proposed, was that if Planned Parenthood uh, would discontinue providing access to safe and legal abortion in the country, then he would talk to Paul Ryan about securing our funding. And I said, well, I'm not here to make a political deal, and we're never going to trade away the rights of women in this country for money. Uh, but I really thought it was important they understood just how devastating it would be, and of course, Federal funds don't go for abortion services. So what they're talking about doing is actually preventing women from getting breast exams, uh, all kinds of birth control services, and other well-women visits at Planned Parenthood, which just makes no sense at all. So how do you describe where women's reproductive rights are today in terms of access to birth control, access to abortion? Is it, is it going backwards or forwards? Well, I think we made enormous progress under the last administration. Uh, in fact, one of the most important, uh, I think, campaigns that we led at Planned Parenthood was to get birth control covered for all women in this country. And it's amazing. Under, the, under Obamacare, now uh, all insurance plans have to cover all kinds of birth control at no copay. And we're actually now at the lowest rate of teenage pregnancy in the history of this country. I think we're making enormous progress. 
Unfortunately, at the state level, more and more, I think it uh, depends on the legislature, but they're taking political aim at women's health, uh, women's access to basic health care. She's a comedian. That was her job. Um, this isn't a topic that I make jokes about because, of course, I see what women face in this country just to access this care and how much stigma and shame there already is uh, in America. Um, I think she was also making the point that a lot of the folks, uh, male politicians in particular, who wail against access to safe and legal abortion, do so until it's something that they actually find benefits themselves. Your mom, of course, was legendary and Richard's former Texas governor. Um, is there politics in your future? Yes, Cecil Richard, please run for office. We need more babies killed in our country. That's what we need. People like you to kill more babies so more Latinos can move in and vote for Democrats. Is that your concept? I, I, I don't understand this abortion thing. All these stories, University of Minnesota, to teach doctors to train abortionists. University of Minnesota Twin Cities is advertising a one-year medical fellowship that will teach a doctor how to perform abortions and become a trainer for future abortionists. The doctor will spend at least 20 days at a high-volume abortion site run by Planned Parenthood. Then there's this pro-abortion group hosting summer camp for high schoolers. Yeah, let's not send our kids out and learn how to hunt, fish, canoe, Maybe weave, do something cool at Camp Winnetonka. No, we're going to can't go to Camp Kill a Baby. Hampshire College will play host to a summer camp for high school students this July that aims to teach about reproductive justice and how to bring a gender lens to social issues. Then this one, the forever touchstone, Newsweek. The handmail tale has a direct connection to U.S. pro-lifers now. Yeah, dig this one. We're reviewing the start of season two of Handmaid's Tale on Hulu cable television. Newsweek cultural writer Anna Menta claimed that the central topic of the series is actually relevant because American abortion clinics are disappearing faster than you can say, blessed be the fruit. As if that assertion wasn't liberal enough, Menta also stated the direct connection between right-to-life conservatives and Gilead extremists are hard to ignore. The writer began by referring to the original book, as Margaret Atwood's classic 1985 dystopian novel, and identifying Bruce Miller as the executive producer of a critically acclaimed Emmy-winning adaptation. She then described the story as taking place in the future during the totalitarian Republic of Gilead, a fundamentalist Christian regime that turned feral women like Offred into baby-making slaves. The new names are indications of who they belong to, or Fred in other words, the first two episodes of the new season picked up where the novel and the season one final finale left off. Offred, played by Elizabeth Moss, getting into a van that will either take her, as Atwood wrote, into the darkness within or else the light. The Newsweek reviewer also noted Atwood is well acquainted with the panic spread by religious fundamentalists. She recalled graffiti that read The Handmaid's Tale is Here on Venice Beach Wall the year the book was published. But the current political divide in the United States surprises her, even her. It's more extreme now than any time that I can remember, she says. The book is historically situated. The original author claimed, and in the past 3,000 years, have not been very fem feminist, to put it mildly. Have you ever thought for a second, liberals, as you cart out 
Cecil Richard and all these other fuckheads. This is what America is. 64% of the American public do not believe in abortions after 20 weeks. 74% of American public do not believe in federally funded abortions. Could you ever think that maybe you are the run? Maybe you are not normal? Hmm. The media ever ending late night left turn Clinton fan busy Phillips to get late night TV show. Yeah. They're, they're giving her a show. Never heard of her, but she's a Clintonite. So that, that'll be great. Lying Joe Behar. No host on the view has ever said anything negative about Trump voters. I was going to play the soundbite and then the other soundbites. I'll just read them. Just a few GOP are terrorists. Women lost election because America's racist. And she herself said Trump voters hate poor kids. A lot of that racist stuff going on. I still understand how voting for the white woman makes you racist, but whatever. Brian Seltzer was toasted as a hero at the Mench by, and Mench by Columbia Journalism Review. Literally more the attacking free press. He's saving us. One of the lines, Seltzer read the online criticism, but says he doesn't believe it represents the opinion of the broad population. Earth to Vernon and Seltzer. Check the polls about the media, credibility, objectivity. It's pretty broad population. It's a pretty broad population. Yes. To our media mash, CNN highlights police brutality video. After ignoring attacks on cops, they also ignored the shooting of federal agents after promising they're going to get back to it. But they didn't because they don't give a fuck about any people who protect us. They're evil. NBC, America's horrible because we won't let the caravan come in. Mojo, being Mojo, and Hog and that other fucking turd were allowed back on CNN to just say whatever the fuck they want to say. And then we're going straight into stats of the day. A manhunt intensifying at this hour for a gunman who shot an ATF agent in the face. Police now conducting raids along the south side of Chicago, sending the suspect this message. We'll find you. We will knock on every door, talk to every witness, watch every piece of video, and analyze every piece of evidence. Believe me, you will not get away with this. Wow. Authorities now offering $61,000 for information leading to the arrest of those responsible. The injured agent luckily is expected to survive. A police officer from Terre Haute, Indiana, is the 27th officer to be gunned down this year in the line of duty. 16-year veteran officer Rob Pitts was killed last night in a shootout with a murder suspect. The gunman also died. Officers lined the streets today as a fallen officer was taken to a funeral home. Next to that manhunt in Chicago after an ATF agent on an undercover mission was ambushed and shot in the face. That neighborhood now flooded by police and the police superintendent asking for the public's help and sending the suspect a message. We will find you. Here's ABC's Will Carr. And a manhunt is happening this morning for the suspect or suspects involved in the shooting of an ATF agent in Chicago. Authorities raided two homes overnight, arresting at least one person near where the shooting took place on Chicago's south side. The federal agent was shot in the face early Friday, rushed to the hospital in critical condition. That condition is now improved, by the way, to stable. A $61,000 reward is being offered for information leading to an arrest. 
A Miami police officer has been suspended after he was caught kicking a suspect in the head. Now, the suspect was in handcuffs on the ground. CNN's Rosa Flores has the story, and a warning here, the video is disturbing. The cell phone video is difficult to watch. A black man is on his stomach getting handcuffed by Miami police when officer Mario Figueroa runs into frame. The video appears to show the officer kicking 31-year-old David Suazo in the head, Ooh. then drops to the ground and puts him in a headlock. A Miami police officer has been suspended after he was caught on camera kicking a suspect in the head. The suspect was in handcuffs and on the ground. We want to warn you, the video may be disturbing to some viewers. CNN's Rosa Flores has the story. Tonight, a very public test of American resolve over immigration policy, as well as the limits of American compassion, is happening at the California-Mexico border. The caravan of Central American migrants President Trump has been railing on for the last few weeks has arrived at the border, asking for asylum from persecution that they will argue they face at home. It's a tough ask in most times, but maybe even tougher in this political environment. Our Miguel Almaguer is in Tijuana tonight. Tonight, these are the faces of the desperate, locked out on the doorstep of the United States waiting. The migrant caravan, mostly women and children, some 150 fleeing violence in Central America and seeking asylum, have traveled nearly 3,000 miles. But the last 300 feet into the U.S. may prove impossible. Catherine says gangs in Honduras could kill her daughter Ashley if she doesn't pay for their protection. Arriving Sunday, the migrants can see freedom just beyond the border wall. Many here call this the point of no return, a desperate journey with one last roadblock that may be impossible to pass. With nowhere to go, those 150 migrants say they'll sleep here at the port of entry again tonight. Three officials tell NBC News there are no plans to build any shelter. Families will spend the night here again in the cold. The last time there were crowds this size was two years ago when the vast majority of Haitians were told to turn around and go back home. It's truly like... Every time I've ever dated an awful jerk out there and thought, you know what, I'm going to be the girl to change him. And every person who touches President Trump thinks that I'm going to be the one to turn this guy around. And no one can because this is who he is. And John Kelly is the latest example of someone in the White House who is saying what a lot of people think. When the president wants to take 25,000 troops out of South Korea on the eve of the Winter Olympics, when he openly talks and has no idea. Wow. about policy or politics around immigration, the economy, and trade. Right. One might call him an idiot. We know from Kellyanne Conway, unless you show true worship of the grand master wizard that is the president, then you're out skis with him. And that's the position I like this in. analogy from Stephanie, and I think it's, it's you leave with the political equivalent of an STD to talk about something Whoa. that Donald Trump worries about constantly. <laughs> it's something that you just don't get rid of wow, this very is, easily. Donald Trump, this would evolving. Donald Trump would even say that this would be like one of his staffers' personal Vietnam. Wait a minute, maybe that's why he raided his doctor's office. Some so Mike Lupin. <laughs>
they are very worried because of the support that we've been getting and the support that we're going to have in midterms. Because, like it or not, we don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. If you're supported by the NRA, you don't stand with the kids. You stand with the gun manufacturers and the people that are trying to make money off this fear and tragedy that is perpetuating itself. And, and David, that's where your focus is now. Because there was a lot of you know concern, I, I think, among uh, you know supporters of, uh, of gun safety, of gun control, uh, and people who are at the march, that after the march, um, that sort of interest would wane. Your focus is on midterms, is that right? Three point nine I know. Uh, jobs. If he does the North Korea thing, ISIS. This man, unless there's some real serious stuff in these indictments, well, is going to get reelected. So, Steve, three point nine below four percent unemployment for the first time since the year two thousand. Eighteen years, a little under eighteen years. Um, I know that's not the be-all, end-all number, but it's a pretty darn good number. Yeah, I think I think Donnie's right. It's a good number, and I think Sarah's right that all the three kind of key numbers, which are the unemployment rate, the number of jobs added, and the wage numbers, are all in a kind of sweet spot at the moment. Uh, wages are not growing that fast, which is obviously not great news on one level, but on another level, it keeps the uh, keeps inflation from coming back, and it keeps the Fed from raising interest rates faster. The real question is how long this can go on. What we're doing right now is we have a fire that's burning nicely in the economy and we're putting gasoline on it right. in the form of these tax cuts and the spending increases. And I, while I take Donnie's point that if in uh, the fall of 2020 the economy looks like this, it will be very good for Donald Trump, but it is a long way to go to get from here to there without some kind of economic bump in the road. It was a really bad week for the left because of statistics, as you heard there by Morning Joe like a bunch of wolves caught in a trap gnawing off their paws. Because the first quarter GDP came out for 2018, and it was 2.3%, which is greater than Obama ever got. And then more bad news came out because the unemployment record, or unemployment <clears throat> numbers came out, and it's just not good, along with Trump's approval rating. It was really, really hard for them because black and Hispanic unemployment rates hit record lows in April. The unemployment rate's 3.9. Unemployment for black is 6.8. And unemployment for Hispanics is 4.8. And Trump's approval rating is 51%. You have all this shit going on. The constant Russia, Mueller, the media, like CNN, apoplectic, losing it that he's killing freaking democracy. April Ryan taking off her ring with that ghetto princess in Baltimore and her weave to go beat up Sarah Sanders. And the numbers are better than ever. I mean, I know Valerie Jarrett saying that we should give Obama the credit. But as McCain's daughter so aptly said on The View to piss off all these fucking skanks. None of this shit's working for the Democrats. 
<laughs> That's one thing. The other thing is, I think he's in trouble, Trump, because if he if he gets subpoenaed, that looks bad. Mm -hmm. And and Mueller will subpoena him because if he refuses to testify, just like you were saying in, in the meeting this morning, mm -hmm. Clinton. Uh, volunteered probably because they threatened a subpoena because it looks right. terrible. And if he pleads the fifth, he looks even more guilty. Yeah. So the guy has to come clean. And it's going to be a beautiful thing to well, watch those lives. He doesn't have to come clean. He can, he can, he can say, well, I, I don't recall. I don't recall. I don't recall. Right. But well, you then know, he has some the dementia. But the mere fact out. that you know, the law will work the way it's supposed to. Because it's, no one is, say it, say it, Sonny, no one no is, one is above, above the law. Yes. And I, you hear that? No one is, the president is not. No one is above the law. The president isn't above the law. What's so interesting to me is, uh, we were discussing this on the ABC um, email exchange, and, and I said, this is well settled. I mean, Watergate, uh, Nixon had to give up the tapes. Even uh, Thomas Jefferson was served a subpoena. James Monroe was subpoenaed. Mm -hmm. Ulysses Grant was subpoenaed. Richard Nixon tried to thwart the subpoena and defy it, and then he lost unanimously in the Supreme Court. And then 16 days later, he resigned. Which is so, what's going to happen which, to this guy. So the guy fact that he thinks right. he can just do anything yeah. is The question I have, though, is we had Stormy Daniels on the show. She's yeah. been dominating the news. Comey's book release, selling everywhere. Obviously, all these reports, he's going to fire Mueller. Then why are his polls at an all-time high right now? 45% approval reading NBC, uh, Gallup 42%, 41% Monmouth University. This isn't resonating. I don't, I don't hope believe so. in the polls Maybe anymore after the election. Eternal. That's why Maybe it's still they read the, the book. Trump had uh, called a book by Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett a must-read. So possibly these people read it. It's oh. the Russia hoax, the illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump. But I, oh. Where did you get that his polls are high? NBC, Gallup, Monmouth University, 45% NBC, 42% Gallup, 41% Monmouth University. All of his approval ratings are above 40%. I just think... That's not exactly a rousing endorsement, 40%. But they're at an all-time high right now. For him. For him. For him. For him. Yes. That, For him. I, I guess. I don't know. After the election, do any of us believe these polls anymore? I mean, I, I just... I, um, I don't even believe... Honestly, she's right. As much as they keep throwing on the wall, it just doesn't work for normal Americans. They're seeing things getting better. So much so the Democrats have worried so much as we've covered on the show. They're overplaying their hand on this impeachment ship. Adam Schiff. Donald Trump is out championing the idea of his own impeachment to rally his supporters. Let him. Democrats should keep their focus on the economy and return to decency. Let the investigations run their course before reaching any conclusion. This is the guy that was out for a whole year saying, we have the smoking gun. Oh, here's the gun. Hey, there's another gun. Well, here's a pea shooter. Oh, there's a squirt gun. James Wood in our stats. Republicans chronically underestimate the venomous ruthless, ruthlessness of Democrats. The former, con former continue to engage in fair political discourse, while the latter are sticking shanks into the necks of all who would dare stand in their way. When will the pussy Republicans ever fight back? That's a question I keep asking. They just put up with it. Selena Zito echoes McCain. American political experts got it wrong in 2016, not because they took too few polls, but because they made the false assumptions that American elections are immune to societal change. They are still getting it wrong. It's true. The problem, she says, to the media is that the same forces that drove Trump voters to the poll in 2016 are still at play. They are, in large part, still getting things wrong, not only by failing to understand a new group of voters who put Trump in the White House, but also by ignoring why they voted the way they did. 
And while the media obsesses over the future demise of the president, they aren't pausing to consider the strength and durability of the coalition that swept him into office. They forget he wasn't the cause, he was the result, and cause hasn't gone away. Where's the proof? For you liberals to say, no, that's not true. We're going to win in the midterm. Guy Benson, I don't really care about Stormy Daniels' thing. I believe it all happened and don't condone it. But it basically on brand Trump sleaze. This is who we elected. Pulling on this drama shows most people don't care either. And POTUS job approval numbers are up. All these guys are losing their mind on them. They're just screaming, there's no way, there's no way. I don't know who you're polling, but most people I know do care. And come November, the GOP will also know. Not based in reality. Based on emotion. Quinnipiac poll. Large majority of voters don't care about Stormy Daniels. A Quinnipiac University poll released on Tuesday found the majority of voters, 58%, believe the affair actually did happen, compared to 14% who believe it did not happen. Republicans and they're evenly divided 32-32 on the question, while Democrats and independents said they believe the affair occurred, Democrats overwhelmingly. But a whopping 73% of voters said they did not believe the affair is an important issue. That includes a majority of Democrats, 79% of independents, and 90% of Republicans. That independent number really hurts you, CNN, when you have the lawyer on 58 fucking times. Nobody fucking cares. And why don't they care? You told us not to in the 90s. You told us not to in 2016. Hillary was going all over the case and Bill Clinton was all over our news. Bill Clinton's been a hero forever. He lied under oath you and the Democrats saved him from impeachment, and you told us that was a personal matter. Shut the fuck up. Huh. Another stat. Facebook advisory teams address anti-conservative bias. So that little poll or that little theory must have really worked, or hearing, sorry, must have worked really well because they're actually going to look at it. And what they're going to find? They're all liberals. You can't fix it. City Bank. U.S. to become the world's top oil exporter. Excuse me. We're about to become the world's top oil exporter. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Also bad for those that are libertarian like my son. Spy agency, NSA triple collection of U.S. phone records, official report says. The U.S. National Security Agency collected 534 million records of phone calls and text messages of Americans last year, more than triple gathered in 2016. That's a shitload. Tim Allen's conservative sitcom to return to Fox Network should be next year. Totally excited. And last but not least, Voyager 1 fires up thrusters after 37 years. That happened this week. If you have Netflix, watch the incredible Voyager, the farthest ever documentary. By the end of it, you'll find yourself feeling very, very small in a universe that is just gigantic and wondering, is there life out there? At the end of the show, I'll talk more about my quest into sci-fi this last week. It was very interesting. But for now, a music break and back into news and social media nuggets. 
translated to Fop Podcast is the best. Only you can do my bonus. And listen. Only you can do my bonus. Wing and listen. Wing and listen. Wing and listen. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. This, this is this is something, man. This is this is the, our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whale. Gays in the military now. Military corner. Nine airmen killed in WC-130 crash identified. The Puerto Rican National Guard has identified the nine airmen with the 156th airlift wing who were killed on May 2nd when their WC-130 crashed in Georgia. Major Jose R. Roman Rosado was the pilot. Major Carlos Perez Sierra was a navigator. First Lieutenant David Albanzo was a co-pilot. Senior Master Sergeant Juan Parvizini was a mechanic. Master Sergeant Jean Adrifred, 16 years of service. Master Sergeant Mario Brana was a flight engineer. Master Sergeant Victor Cologne. Master Sergeant Eric Kirkins was a loadmaster and senior airman Roberto Espada, which is very, very sad. <clears throat> Another story that came, Pentagon confirms Chinese fired lasers at U.S. pilots incident near Beijing's Djibouti military base injured American air crews flying nearby, hurt their eyes. The Chinese are still on the horizon. Here's the Marine Corps' new plan to shake up rifle squads. The Marine Corps is capping off 18 months of overhauling the way infantry units are trained and equipped by shaking up the structure of the rifle squads. In an address to an audience of Marines at the Marine Corps Association Wards Dinner near Washington, D.C. on Thursday, Commandant General Robert Neller said future squads will have 12 Marines down from current 13, but while the squads are losing a body, they will gain capabilities with two new leadership positions, he said. The new squad will have three fire teams of three Marines each, an adjustment from the standard four-man fire teams of today. The 4th Marine that we're used to having is not going to be cut. We're not going to fill the billet, but it's not going to degradate our readiness. So, 3-3 man. Hmm. Or, with a, well, with 12, so it'd be squad leader. Yeah, that works out. Huh. Army, probably soon to follow. Two new movies are profiling one of the military's most heroic and desperate battles. This is the Jake Tapper book, The Outpost. 
The battle Kamadesh on October 3rd, 2009 gave America a story of heroism and brotherhood, but at a terrible cost. Eight Americans were killed and 27 were wounded. Now the fight has pitted a handful of soldiers at combat outpost Keating in eastern Afghanistan against several hundred enemy insurgents. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter is saying they're going to have the movie called The Outpost. Millennium Media is expected to start production in August. It's based on Tapper's book. Caleb, uh, The Outpost will star Scott Eastwood from Pacific Rim Uprising. Caleb Landry Jones from Get Out and Orlando Bloom. <clears throat> you know, the guy from all the elf and pirate movies. Though his defense, he's not... New to War Flicks, he was in Black Hawk Down. East will take on the role of Medal of Honor recipient Staff Sergeant Clint Rom- Ramusha, and Jones will play Specialist Ty Carter, who also received the Medal of Honor for his action. Bloom has been cast as First Lieutenant Benjamin D. Keating, who was killed on November 2006 when his vehicle overturned. The camp where the 2009 battle took place was renamed in his memory. But Lurie Film isn't the only drama about Cop Keating in the works either. Another war movie, this one backed by Sony, is titled Red Platoon and based on Ramisha's book of the same name. As for Outpost, filling out the cast with folks who talk the talk, walk the walk, and know which patches go where on a uniform is a bit of an overlooked, though hardly new trend in big-budget war films. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see. If you read the book, it's it's pretty sad. I uh, read the official reports and everything. Is that up? <clears throat> My battalion commander in combat was the brigade commander, and he got caught up in that shit. It was a major fuck-up. To our college crazy. Anti-Zionists aggressively disrupt pro-Israeli event at UC Irving. Is that even surprising? A group of about 10 protesters temporarily shut down a panel discussion at UC Irving featuring five members of the Israeli Defense Forces shouting a series of chants until they were removed by campus police. Administrators present at the event indicated that the protesters were likely not to be punished because they did not identify themselves as students or members of a student group. So they can just get away with it. Free speech and all, unless you're talking about conservative value. Yeah, I can't have that. Marquette Forum says white community perpetuates racism. It's like last podcast. This shit won't go away. For the white community to reflect on how it perpetuates racism after a racially charged photo began circulating on social media. Some students criticized the university's initial response to the incident with the slogan, Do Better Marquette demanding that the school hold these students accountable. President Michael Lavelle subsequently apologized on Twitter, urging white students to use their privilege to bring about change. And Marquette's VP of Student Affairs declared that our job is to provide more safe spaces. The flyer, do better Marquette. What does it mean to be part of a culture that perpetuates racism? Join us for the conversation about your role as part of the white community at Marquette was held Wednesday, March, uh, May 2nd. I'm really sad I didn't get a go to it. Mm, so sad. I love going to places where they tell me, you suck because your skin color. It's kind of racist. Whatever. School to screen film alleging, wait for it, Trump stole the 2016 election. I was waiting for this to come out. I thought it was going to be Michael Moore. It's not. The University of San Diego is hosting a film screening Tuesday night alleging that Donald Trump stole the 2016 election by engaging in a massive scheme to take the votes of a million innocent people. 
the filmmaker Greg Palast boasts of having previously exposed how Catherine Harris and Jeb Bush purged thousands of black voters from the Florida rolls to steal the 2000 election from George Bush. You should see the flyer. Greg Palast, the best democracy money can buy, the case of the stolen election, and it shows like a comic book spy guy in a black cape walking around. I'm not, I'm not making that up. Mm. In September 2016, before U.S. President's election, Palast released his movie based on his New York Times best-selling book predicting Donald Trump's election. The organizers of the event wrote on Facebook, The film was a smash hit and continues to be shown all around the U.S. as well as being used by grassroots activists as an organizing tool to fight voter suppression. <clears throat> According to the trailer for the film, Palast will present the findings of his research into alleged voter fraud, arguing that there may have been a scheme to suppress the votes of the innocent people. Is there really a gigantic conspiracy of one million Democrats to vote twice? Or is it a massive scheme to take the votes of a million innocent people? Alas, says in the trailer. Later adding that the film is a story of an investigation of the theft of the 2016 election. It's a crime still in progress and a hunt for very, very rich guys behind the crime. Dun, dun, dun! You fucking people. Harvard! Students can now earn a social justice certificate. You know the army at one time gave out Cold War certificates. It was super, super gay. This one is uber not gay because that would not be PC. Harvard University allows students to earn a social justice certificate by completing 16 credit hours and relevant course, a process the school estimates will take 1.5 years and cost $10,800. Classes that satisfy, satisfy the requirement include chocolate culture and the politics of food, the culture of capitalism, and reading and black radicalism. The politics of food. Yeah. The only politics I don't like is when I eat too many jalapahos and they politically overthrow my bowels. You fucking people. Swarthmore. 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 Rejects SJP demand to stop selling, wait for it, Sabra hummus. Yes! I knew this was coming. This is like me finding the holy grail like Indiana Jones, which I'm watching right now. Don't judge me. Swarthmore College announced Monday that it will not stop selling Sabra hummus on campus as school students for justice in Palestine chapters demanded. A petition circulated by SJP students for justice in Palestine accused Swarthmore of being an accessory to the occupation of Palestine, saying it is morally unacceptable to sell Sabra products because of the company's support for Israel. So now, if you eat hummus from Sabra, you are xenophobe, suppressing the Palestinian people who keep lobbing rockets at Israel. Yeah. So, you know, each week I cover this shit, and I usually don't do serious stuff in the middle of my news and social media nuggets. Because it's supposed to be kind of pithy. I get to dog on people. It makes me feel better about myself. But this article fell in, and it totally bookends to this college crazy. How politically biased are colleges? New study finds it's far worse than you thought. 
An extensive study of 8,688 tenure-track professors at 51 of the 66 top-ranked liberal arts colleges in the U.S., published by the National Association of Scholars, found that the ratio of faculty members registered as Democrats compared to those registered Republican is a now stunning 10.4 to 1. If two military colleges that are technically described as liberal arts colleges are removed from the calculation, the ratio is 12.7 to 1. The researcher, Mitchell Langbert, associate professor of business at Brooklyn College, found that nearly 40% of the colleges in the study had zero faculty members who were registered Republican. Not a single one. Nearly 80% of the 51 colleges had so few Republican faculty members that they were statistically insignificant. Let them just think, just let that stand. Now, granted, it could be people who are just like Trump voters. Nobody said I'm voting for Trump prior to November 8th, 2016, because you're afraid you're going to get the shit kicked out of you by Antifa. So many of these people are so scared because they, they're going to lose their tenure if they say they're conservatives. Who knows? Here's how Langbert leads into a study of which he describes as the troubling political hegemony hegemony of faculty uh, do you see how I just fucked that word all up yeah I did too a faculty at our leader leading liberal arts colleges and this article I offer new evidence of something readers of an academic question have already known the political registration of full-time PhD holding professors in top tier liberal arts colleges overwhelming Democrat indeed faculty political affiliation at 39% of the colleges in my sample are Republican free having zero Republicans the political registration is most of the remaining 61% with a few important exceptions. It's slightly more than 0%, but nevertheless absurdly skewed against Republican affiliation and favor Democratic affiliation. Thus, 78.2% of the academic departments of my sample have either zero Republicans or so few as to make no difference. My sample of 8,688 tenure-track PhD-holding professors from 51 of the 66 top-ranked liberal arts colleges in the U.S. News 2017 report consists of 5,197, or 59.8%, who are registered either Democrat, Republican, or Democrat. The mean Democrat to Republican ratio across the sample is 10.4 to 1. But because of the anomaly and definition of what constitutes a liberal arts college in the U.S. news survey, I include two military colleges, West Point and Annapolis, and these are, are excluded. The DR ratio is whopping 12.7 to 1. When Langbert broke down the political affiliation by field, he found some clear and rather unsurprising trends. By far the highest imbalance is found in the more ideological fields, and partly the social sciences and humanities, STEM subjects, such as chemistry, economics, mathematics, and physics, have lower DR ratios in the social sciences and humanities. The highest DR ratio of all is for the most ideological fields, interdisciplinary studies. I could not find a single Republican with an exclusive appointment to fields like gender studies, African studies, and peace studies. As Fabio Roja described with respect to Africana or black studies, these fields had their roots in ideologically motivated political movements that crystallized in the 60s and 70s. Langbert found the following ratio of Democrats to Republicans in the key academic fields. Order from most biased to most balanced. I'm only going to cover a few. Communications. That would be all your liberals in our media. 
108 to 0. There's no bias, Brian Seltzer. Chuck Todd, there's no bias. Jake Tapper, no bias. Acosta, no bias. But all your college professors, 108 Democrats, 0 Republicans. Anthropology, 56 Democrats, 0 Republicans. Religion, 70% Democrat, 1 Republican. I want you to think about that. You'd think it'd be the inverse But people who don't believe in religion are teaching religion to skew people to hate Christianity. English, 48.3 to 1. Sociology, 43.8 to 1. Art, 40.3 to 1. That surprised the shit out of me. I thought it would be higher. Music, 32.8. Theater, 29.5 to 1. You would think the thespians would be worse. History, 17.4 to 1, that makes sense. Psychology, 16.8 to 1. Poli-Sci, 8.2. Computer, 6.3. And Mathematics, 5.6 to 1. That's surprising. I would have thought those would be higher in the percentile because, I mean, think about theater. History, I thought would be the lowest because mostly conservatives like history. But history is written by Democrats, so there you go. So that was a great article I'm going to keep it for future podcasts to bring it back out again in the front. But that's why I have a college crazy section in my podcast. Everybody training our kids in college are Democrats. To other stuff, Slate columnist, lynching memorial should remind us that not much has changed. That's what he wants. On Friday, Slady published a beautifully written essay by James Bowie about the new National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, which pays tribute to those who were lynched by white mobs between the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement. A central structure memorial is a looming cloister where 800 steel columns hang from the roof. On each column is a state, a county, and the names of everyone lynched there, along with the dates of their death. The column starts at eye level, but as you walk through the memorial, the floor descends and the structure hangs like so many victims. You, the visitor, become a kind of witness to the ritualistic murder that claimed at least 4,000 black Americans between 1877 and 1950. Yeah. I'm sure that's going to help Black Lives Matter. How California LGBT therapy ban could ban Christianity itself. It's essentially a ban on gay and transgender conversion therapy, but the bill's vague and sweeping text could affect essentially every institution of every religion that affirms sexual complementarity. They put in a law to ban conversion therapy, but really it's written so that you, as a religion, are fucked to even talk about it. Yeah. Simpson creator... On Apu, people love to pretend they're offended. God, this is a good article. Being offended can only get one so far. Just look at the liberal media. After many news outlets criticized The Simpsons for the character of Apu for being an Indian stereotype, the show's creator, Matt Groening, finally addressed the controversy, but not quite the way the left wanted him to. Even as the New York Times calls the character Apu his brown equivalent of black-faced minstrel performance, Groening has no plans to remove the figure from the show. He told the U.S. Today in an interview, I'm proud of what we do on the show, and I think it's a time in our culture where people love to pretend they're offended. 
refreshing, especially compared to the recent performance by Hazra Azari, the white actor who plays a poo on Stephen Colbert's show. Azari said he would be more than willing to stop playing the character if only it would appease the political correct deities and their rush to stifle creativity. But Groening understands his own creation in a way that Azari does not. The Simpsons are meant to be stereotypes poking at the rest of the world. There's an equal opportunity for everyone to be mocked. Groening told USA Today, Well, let's let the show speak for itself. Slate Matthew Desim wrote that the show's biggest critic, Harry Condebleau, the dude that played it, deserved to be stayed, taken seriously by the maker of The Simpsons. He ended his brief piece with one of the best jokes from the show's glory days depicted groaning as a reclusive crank with an eye patch, a bolo tie, and a revolver. It would be a shame if, like so many of the show's predictions, that one came true. So basically, you're a piece of shit for not going with our faux outrage. But he's spot on. The left loves being outraged. They need it in their fiber. Like this gem. Sorry to get up. It's pollen's horrible, dude. I'm on Clarendon, but damn. SB Nation writer bemoans lack of male pro athletes coming out of the closet. What the world needs now are more male homosexual professional athletes. It's been five years since Jason Collins, a photograph, retired from the NBA and then came out of the closet. But there have been next to none for men's pro team sports since. Laments a disappointed Jim Bozinski, writer for SB Nation and co-founder of OutSports. A score of less than four points per game, Collins attracted little attention in his 12 years of NBA benchwarming. But when he retired and announced his sexual orientation back in 2013, he went straight to the LGBT Hall of Fame. It appeared to Bozinski as if the sports world, especially in pro-male sports leagues, was about to undergo a seismic change in regards to LGBT athletes. This was a time when Barack Obama sports commissioners and NBA coaches dropped everything they were doing and told us they were so proud of Jason. CBS Evening News made Collins' lead story on April 29, 2013. Oprah booked the instant hero. Carmelo Anthony had just won the NBA scoring championship, and he didn't get near the publicity that was lavished upon Collins from the lamestream media. All around the same time, Major League Soccer and the openly homosexual player in Robbie Rogers and Brittany Griner of the WNBA came out as lesbians. Yawn. That's not news in that league. Michael Sims' amazing story would follow a year later. Bozinski writes, There was so much LGBT news in sports that the New York Times reporter told me it was becoming an old story and was close to being played out. This assumption has proved to be wrong. Collins coming out turned out to be less a herald than an anomaly, Bozinski bemoans. Collins became a great advocate for LGBT equality in sports and proved to be a role model for young athletes. Collins is a pioneer who is still making a difference, but Bozinski's idea of progress has not materialized. Yet we are no closer to having a critical mass of out-male pro-athletes than we were before he came out. There are several out WNBA players and women have long been the trailblazers in sports. But for historic and sociological reasons, we have long written about gay female athletes don't get the attention they deserve. In contrast, an out man in the NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB is still the white whale everyone is pursuing. Nevertheless, Brzezinski is convinced that homosexuals exist in men's pro leagues. They're just staying in the closet. He thought that if one athlete came out 
it would lead others to do the same. On one hand, he writes, coming out as fraught with emotion, worry, and uncertainty, and adds an extra layer of being a pro athlete, as an out jock would be subject to more media attention, but would be positive coverage, writes Brzezinski, defeating his own argument. So basically he's upset because there's not enough gay people. Okay. The Simpson guy is dead on. And then there was this gem. I just, I don't understand liberals. I don't understand liberals. I don't understand liberals. This is real. HuffPo, Lod's new movement. Feminist fish sex. I just read that. On Friday, HuffPo led with the most amazing story of the day. And the most important story of the day. Women are now into fish sex. Fish, fish sex. I'm trying to say that right. As in nailing the salmon, curling the whitefish, coring the tuna, smoking the sea bass. Yes, ladies are now apparently interested in the motion of the ocean. Why? Because all men are pigs. And hey, if you got to choose the seafood or the pork, better to sleep with fishes than feed with the hogs. Nicely written. Even as pathetic, self-pitying men complain about the problems of involuntary celibacy, pathetic, self-pitying women are now supposedly fantasizing about Flipper. Here's Claire Fallon. Time for the easy game of you love this movie, read the book ever. If you love The Shape of Water, a movie about fish sex, you should definitely read The Pisces by Melissa Broder, a book about fish sex. The cover literally shows a woman in a Morris clinch with a fish. The novel actually tells the story of a woman who has a torn love affair with a merman. Now, one fish fucking opus in the space of a year might be a blip. Two seem very much like a trend. We might even call it three, considering last summer's Made for Love by Alyssa Nutting, in which a male romance scammer, after a fantastical sea bathing incident, becomes exclusively attracted to dolphins. Though, to be clear, dolphins are not fish, they're mammals. What explains a sudden love of sexual pescarians? Men, of course. Horrible. Horrible men. Cruel, horrible, evil men. Here's Fallon. The Pisces and Guillermo del Toro's Oscar-winning The Shape of Water also seem to have arrived during an inflection point for heterosexual relations as some straight women have thrown their hands up in despair at the prospects of dealing with straight men. These men who grope us and talk down to us and constantly fail to clean the bathroom, we're supposed to make lives with them? Let them touch us? Well, no. You're supposed to find a man who doesn't do those things. You're supposed to have sex with men worthy of your commitment, not make bad decisions with sex with losers. Then regret that you made those decisions, then turn to SeaWorld for some satisfaction. But according to Fallon, such decent, better than filet men are simply not on the menu. Women woke up one day to find their husbands voted for Donald Trump and their sons have been shitposting on ISIL boards. Even before we heard the claim that Harvey Weinstein's history of sexual harassment, assault, and slaving avalanche of other horrifying Me Too allegations, we heard about our president grabbing women by the pussy, Bill Cosby feeding women roofies, and R. Kelly allegedly sexually exploiting young girls. So many straight men, we've been forced to accept we're bad. they are bad to and for us. Why would we take the enormous risk of loving one of them? The handsome prince or film star or cowboy or doctor of our imagination is exposed as a dangerous fraud, but we still need some form of romantic hope and sexual release. One seductive 
yet impossible fantasy might be romantic attention of a man who lacks the exhaustive baggage of male entitlement. To find such a fantastical being, women, in fiction at least, have turned to the sea. Oh my god! Yeah. I hope liberal women start humping whales. I'm just down with it. You should not reproduce. Because when you reproduce, you brainwash your offspring. Moving on. American Idol drag queen blames loss on America not being open. Dude couldn't sing, but you're a transphobe. Uh, in here, he says, uh, if America is not ready to be open to this, that's fine, he said, because all it shows is that we have so much more growing to do. Once again, identity politics reared its ugly head on primetime television. What a surprise. Jesus, Jay Jehoshaphat. Moving on. United apologized for a certain incident involving flight attendant. This story was pretty interesting when I read it. it basically, the United flight attendant was drunk off her fucking ass and she was an asshole to everybody so much so a actual uh, customer went to the pilot's door to get his attention say you need to fix this this dude's fucking or this chick's losing it there's a video and everything not gonna play it 50 live crocodiles from Malaysia seized at a London airport just reading the heading because I want to know how the fuck do you mail 50 live crocodiles? And nobody knows that. Hmm. Then this wizard. This is Darwinism. Survival at the fittest, at the finest. Man dies attempting selfie with a bear. Stray dog tried to save him. Dog is our man's best friend. It happened in Nabagara district of Odisha in India. Prabhu Bahatara Bahatara spotted the injured animal injured animal on his way home from a wedding. He ignored advice from friends who told him it wasn't a good idea to take a selfie with a bear. It didn't take long, according to the Independent, for the bear to strike once Bahatara was close. The incident was recorded on a cell phone with the gruesome footage going viral after hitting the internet. A stray dog also stepped in and hit the bit the bear, but its intervention failed to deter the larger animal. Forest ranger Dadahara Mahapatra said Mr. Bahatra died on the spot. He added, the bear is being treated for its injuries. <laughs> in America, they would have put the bear down. In India, they go, that dude had that shit coming. <laughs> Good on ya. Live longer. One Britain, one Britain, oldest person, age 110, praises onions for her long life. One of Britain's oldest people has turned 110, saying her long life is thanks to friends and onions. Daisy Baston puts her longevity down to the combination, saying, I am very lucky in my life to have had such loyal friends and still be in good health, even though I have incredibly bad <laughs> to our lighter fare. It's been a long time since we've done a Matt Best 11X audio file, but this one's hilarious. At first, I thought it was him like action figure therapy changing his political stance because the title of this is Conservative coming out and uh i was 
happily wrong. Enjoy. You sure you don't want me to go in? All right, got it. Just got to do it. All right, it's the worst that can happen. I'll be back in a few. Okay. Come on, come out with it. Your mother and I love you. Whatever you have to say, we're never going to judge you. We're open-minded. I want to confide in you and, and mom that I've chosen a different lifestyle. It's okay. We got it. Come on. The tight jeans, the $60 haircut, the gym bros. <laughs> You're gay. It's okay. We'll accept you for who you are. It's your freedom. Dad, I'm not gay. I just wanted to tell you I'm a conservative now and that I value the Second Amendment and our constitutional rights. Matt, are you? Second Amendment? Look at what your assault rifle is doing to my hand! That is not an assault rifle. That is a blunt object which is responsible for more homicides than all rifles annually. Fascist! What is going on in here? Anybody need a Zanny? Your son is a Nazi! Mom, I'm 31 years old. That's murder. Of course you'd be against murder, you racist, misogynist, bigot. I don't know, man. Look at what your conservative values are doing to Mr. Whiskers. Your John Hannity. Your guns. Your louder with Crowder. Why did you have to bring violence into this home? What's all the noise? Your brother's political beliefs just killed Mr. Whiskers! What? Oh my god, he turned his brother into a fucking suicide bomber! <laughs> Why? Why couldn't you be more tolerant and open-minded like us? Why? How'd it go? It's amazing how violent people get when you're just trying to articulate an opposing viewpoint. Fuck it. It's enough internet for the day. Wanna get drunk? Hell yes. Alright. <laughs> Since we've gone across the threshold of Cinco de Drinko. You knew somebody was going to put something out. And I put this in the comedy, but I put it also for serious sake. Because this is, once again, what our major media uses to determine what is a good or bad group. So much so that Amazon has been skewed by them. And that is the Southern Poverty Law Center. This was their stupid fucking tweet with the Tolerance.org article attached to it. Most of the festivities surrounding Cinco de Mayo in the U.S. are textbook examples of cultural appropriation, relegating the history and culture of a Mexican people to novelty items. Mexican culture cannot be produced to tacos, oversized sombreros, and pinatas. Pinatas. How about that? How about pinatas? Let's pause for a second because Planned Parenthood has taco fucking Tuesdays for abortions. I never see SPLC say anything. 
Isn't that regulating, re- relegating uh, Mexican food to a prop to go kill a baby? Nah. From the Tolerance Org article, Cinco de Mayo morphed into a celebration of Mexican heritage that is painfully false and largely publicized through alcohol advertising. Most of the festivities surrounding Cinco de Mayo in the United States are textbook examples of, oh, they just took it word for word for word for word, relegating the vast majority of culture Mexican people to few novelty items. Mexican culture cannot be reduced to taco, pun, oversized sombreros, and piñatas. So people, of course, had fun with this dumb shit. How dare anyone have fun on Cinco de Mayo? Put the taco down right now! <laughs> Holy hell! Imagine how uncomfortable life must be for people who have sticks so firmly stuck up their ass 24-7. I like that. Pope Hat, you went from fighting the Klan to fighting a deviation from a narrow and insipid orthodoxy suitable to an Oberlin sophomore. Yes, that's true. Kevin Boyd, I'm just here for the ratio. Wally Pops, okay then, if I want to ever eat shepherd's pie, I'm really going to be pissed. You're appropriating the plight of the Irish. (laughs) Your vice is locked room and only Juan has the key. I'm Mexican and I can't muster anything other than laughter at your embarrassing tweets. Cultural appropriation isn't a thing and you should be ashamed of what you become. And House King... If celebrating Mexican culture is cultural appropriation, then isn't sneaking into a country illegally the ultimate cultural appropriation? House King, Andrew King 06, sums it the fuck up. Isn't that the ultimate? And really, let's think about this for a second. What you're saying is it's wrong to live in a melting pot. Isn't that what our country is? There is no American cuisine. We're all immigrants. I am German, Irish, Russian, Greek, Norwegian. My wife has got a tad tad of French and a shitload of Italian in her. I know that when I piss her off. But our food, our cuisine. So I'm never supposed to eat tacos again. Because I'm not Mexican. Which means I can't eat spaghetti, because I'm not American. Can't eat pizza, real pizza, not American pizza. Chinese food is fucking horrible then, because everything we've done is rat-fuck their culture. I'm going to throw down on a bucket of ramen tonight. Can't eat that shit. What do I eat? Corn? Maize is all I can eat as an American? Are you fucking dense? But it really breaks down what's wrong with our country. As I related during this podcast, me and Big Sis had a bunch of conversations on our drive to work today. And you know, I think it started in 2000, but it's definitely here in 2018. We are a country that is so ill intolerant. Our media is intolerant. Our politicians are intolerant. The blue states are fucking intolerant of other people's Opinion. We used to be a country where everybody melted together and it was okay. But now it's either believe what the fuck I believe or shut the fuck up. If a conservative steps out of bounds, we put them out of business or get them fired from their job. If liberals do it, like Montel Williams using gay fluff stuff, we ignore it and let it go. 
We have a media that can't let go of its politics. We have cultural institutions like our colleges that are overwhelmingly Democrat, brainwashing the masses. We're pretty fucked up. Which brings me to the rant. I thought the other day, as this mass push for totalitarian conduct by the media and the left to take away everybody's guns, you know, it's not the gun. I really thought about this. It's not the gun, it's the divisiveness. Majority of the shootings of late have been liberals. They're on the razor's edge due to our media always saying, Trump is taking away free speech. Politicians going, the election was stolen. The Russians are coming. People are so on edge. You could take every gun away, every knife away. You could take cars away. You could take everything away. They'll use rocks. It's the divisiveness. It's never-ending divisiveness on social media, on your TV, in your movies. It's nonstop. That's the change. We are constantly surrounded by divisiveness. You can't be who you are. You're always getting pounded with some kind of form of media telling you to think a certain way, feel a certain way, or more like us in the flyover states, which is why I do this podcast and it's called Flyover. You're wrong. Your very fiber, your beliefs, your norms are wrong. And you wonder why there's violence. Eventually people crack. Something goes wrong in their life. And they go postal. It's sad. And yes, not being a hypocrite, I'm part of the divisiveness. This podcast is, for those that listen to it, which, by the way, good listens this week. A lot of people listen. Thank you. I'm divisive, but I'm calling out the idiots that trump it up. This little podcast doesn't affect the whole country. New York Times, WAPO, CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, and MSDNC. Oh, they affect the country. And every day they're getting pounded. And the base message is, hate thy neighbor. And you wonder why we have violence. Interesting. On a personal note, before we do our closeout, I delved into Star Trek last week. And I went deep. I watched the new one for 2009, just called Star Trek. Then I watched Into Darkness, which was from 2013. And then in 2016's Beyond. And then I went back and watched 1, 2, and 3. And I gotta tell you right now, I have never been a huge Trekkie. When I was a kid, I watched it on TV. The original series, William Shatner. Sure, I knew all that shit. But I didn't walk around with a communicator. And I was not going to go to Comic-Con. But by the end of watching the new three movies, 2009, 13, and 16, if you have not watched those, you are missing out. It's like if you never watched M.I., Mission Impossible, which I never did. And then I watched it and went, holy shit, and watched them all and fucking bought them and went crazy. This movie will make you do that. My wife is the least sci-fi person you're going to find. She hates that shit. She loved the movie. She didn't even fall asleep. We were on a Sunday, her one day off, because she left again. And literally, the entire time, she's like, this is really good. This is really good. 
the visual special effects unfucking paralleled. Then, as stated, if you go onto your Netflix, which I'm going to look up this stolen election shit because I'm sure it's there for free because Netflix is liberal. Um, and with Obama, the Obama's working for him. I'm sure there'll be more documentaries on how conservatives are horrible, Christianity is horrible. You're horrible. You're a horrible person. They'll probably have a movie. Tony Reed is horrible. It'll be up there. Um, you can see this the sci-fi stuff, and they have that Voyager one, uh, the Mars Generation, Last Man on the Moon. You've not seen them. Excellent shows. It'll teach you shit you didn't know. And most of the stuff with the Voyager, we were really young when this all went down. And the last one with Pluto was the day of they're going to release it on the day Challenger exploded. So, I mean, it's very interesting watching these. And the Mars Generation one is a bunch of geeky kids, cute as shit. But I think we need that goal. We no longer have that goal of going somewhere as a race, the human race. And it's lost in our politics because Democrats spend their all time slicing you into little groups to hate each other and not be trustworthy because then you trust them and you'll vote for them. So the human race element's missing. Where we're all as a world working towards something. It can't be global warming because most of us go, okay, I know it's bad, but yeah, we're not under ice and that's what Al Gore told me I was going to be. So literally check those out. Last but not least on Amazon last week, all the Indiana Jones came out for free. Watch them. If you haven't watched them in a long time, HD with a Bose system, you get to hear the dude's face freaking melt off in uh, the Lost Ar- uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I heard his face melt. It was the coolest freaking thing ever. It was like being a little kid again because I haven't watched those since like the 90s. So well worth it. I'll continue to do these reviews as we go along. And as stated, I'm going to look up this stolen democracy bullshit and do a book report on that shit in a coming podcast. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. And send comments by emailing F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast at gmail.com. You can get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com. FOPpodcast.com. It's a theme. To see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. There you'll also see links to every episode on the episode release page and a blog on the blog page. Good traffic on the website, too, by the way. I've, I've had a consistent 100 new looks every week. Now, could be a typo. Who knows? Next podcast is going to be the 14th. If I get this movie, I'm going to do that on a separate podcast on the 11th. But regular podcast will be 14 May, Year of Our Lord 2018. Hopefully get one out on the 11th with the stupid that is the stolen election movie by that jackass make sure as you go out this week to be safe enjoy your family disconnect from all your electronic goddamn devices and don't be freaking yeah yeah and your kids they're going to be grown they're going to be gone and you're going to regret it as always i thank you all for listening and take care Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.
Yeah. 